Hello, fellow homebrewers. JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brew Built X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brew Built Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full two inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brew Built line of options and add ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brew Built X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brew Built Conicals. You can trust Brew Built with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brew Built at morebeer.com. Home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, beer drinkers. Get ready for an all-new experience in information exchange and beer culture. Your only source, only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers from around the globe right to your home. You're not just listening to broadcasters. It's the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. Welcome back, Hopheads. It's week four at the Brewing Network. Yes. And this is the live show. <laughs> the whole country, perhaps the world, live, is tuned in to you, Johnny P. And JC. And of course, welcome back this week, Dr. Dr. Scott. Scott. I didn't turn you on again, did I? I always do that to you, Dr. Scott. Bad. That Bad better? There you go. <laughs> I was practicing my intensity in my head before the show. You like that? You're intense. I'll yeah. tell you that much. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to one radio show this summer, it should be mine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. How's everybody doing out there today? And you in the studio as well. Good, I hope. Doing well. Doing very well. We're drinking an IPA right now that uh, was intended to be a blonde ale that was brewed in the style of a Hellas. You failed. I failed. Not close. And, no. and, uh, <laughs> it's good. But ended up with an okay IPA. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have to talk about those IBUs with you today. <laughs> good oh, thing man. we're... Of course, we, 101. Should have brewed this after we had this talk. Yeah, we should, I totally should have. Well, the thing is is that I, had, I brewed it once before, and it came out awesome. Uh, like it, so, you, it was perfect. so you decided to screw it so up. So I decided I should do it again and screw it up. And how did you screw it up there? I don't really know. I think uh, I don't. I didn't pay attention too much to the time, like uh, how long it was in the fermenter, exactly what temperature it was at the first time, and, and it was really in a secondary fermenter for for over three weeks on my back porch uh, when the t- when the it was still mm, the end of winter, so the temperatures were real nice for it to just kind of sit back there cool, and. Um, I don't know. It just accidentally came out awesome. So this time around, I couldn't replicate any of the fermentation temperatures or the times because I didn't mark all that down. And uh, that's the only thing I know for sure I did wrong. The other parts, I'm not sure. Maybe I miscalculated on the amount of, of um, steeping, steeping grain. I might have done that because I did it myself at, at old B3. I went back there and put it in my own bag and... And, well, let's face it, I'm mathematically retarded, and I probably <laughs> put in the uh, wrong amount of grains or something. No, it's it's good beer. I like it. It's just not what you were looking for. Exactly. As long as it's drinkable, though, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. all right with that. That's know? all we care about right now. <laughs> it's cold. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. So uh, for you folks at home, please join us in the chat room. We get lots of questions from you guys in there. And, and, and this week we're talking all about hops. Uh, so if you want to uh, get in on that, you can either reach us at one eight 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 four zero one beer or you can go to the chat room and, and ask us questions from there. Last week, we had a nice discussion with Morgan from EJ Fair, came in, um, and we talked a lot about mashing mm-hmm. and uh, got a lot of good information out there. Awesome questions from the chat room. They really yeah. guided the discussion for us, so that was cool. Thank and, you, Morgan. Uh, yeah, Morgan was awesome, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week, they were, uh, there was lots of questions in the past couple weeks about hops and people just begging for a hop show. So being that uh, I'm a hop head and John loves a good hop, we figured, uh, what the heck, let's do a nice hops show. Let's make you hoppy. Exactly. (laughs) And uh, that's our intention for most of today. Um, We're going to cut the show uh, a little bit short today. Although, you know what, I I have a feeling that's not really going to happen. As the the questions keep going, you know, we just keep going. But what we've got planned for you, um, as you you know, if you listened last week, Johnny P went to the uh, American National Homebrews Competition in Baltimore uh, two weeks ago now, right? little over a two week Two whole ago. weeks. Yeah. And uh, won a few awards there. His Hellas won a, a first in the country, and his Scotch Ale won a second. And awesome. uh, he was a second runner-up for the Ninkasi Award, which was awesome, too. But while he was there, he made some recordings, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in that week in Baltimore, and, and we all wish we could have gone. Um, but you get lots of good lectures and just, you know, generally good brewing information yeah so john was nice enough to make some recordings in between drinking and <laughs> well, we uh, drink while we listen to so <laughs> right well that's cool yeah that's a, yeah see you know if college was like that i i'd We'd still be, be in it yeah you know what i mean if i could have drank while i was uh, but mostly because i would be failing um one of the discussions that John recorded was a discussion uh, from Vinny, as, and is it Chalurzo? Chalurzo. Yeah. Okay, Vinny Chalurzo from Russian River Brewing, which is up here in Northern California, uh, did a great lecture on hopping and dry hopping, right? Very informative. Okay. Yeah. So it's about an, a little over an hour long, is about that right? 68 minutes, 65 minutes. Okay. Uh, little over an hour long and just awesome information from Vinny about uh, do's and don'ts of dry hopping and different techniques. And uh, it's probably not the Bible of dry hopping. You don't, you know, everything, everybody has a different opinion. Yeah. But there's some great techniques in there. You hear his process, basically, so. Yeah. Talks about temperature, why it's important for dry hopping, um, how yeast affects your, you don't want fermentation, you want to do it in secondary. Okay. Um, styles, why does multiple hops during dry hopping because he gets more aroma out of multiple hops. Okay. Um, just listen to it, and you'll enjoy it. Okay. So that's what we're. That's actually our guest today via a live recording. Um, at the end. At yeah. the end of the show. Uh, so if we finish at six thirty, which is kind of the plan, we're going to start it then. Um, it's highly unlikely, so it's probably going to start about <laughs> seven. Um, if it's too late by then for you guys to keep tuning into that, uh, if you're on the East Coast, I'm just going to keep replaying it for a while anyway. So you'll get to you'll get to catch it, and we'll rebroadcast the show uh, on Tuesday anyway. So. Uh, Feel free to go to bed if it gets too late. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be doing our own hop discussion right here in the studio that uh, you guys can join into. Uh, okay. A couple of announcements to make, uh, which is really just some good information for brewers out there. I don't know if you guys know. I just found out myself that July is uh, American Beer Month. You guys all know that? Yes. It's been happening for, I think, six years now. This is the sixth time. Uh, and what they're doing, um, I don't know who they is exactly, the American Beer Month people. I think the AHA. Uh, is it the AHA that runs that? Yeah, the Brewer okay. Association. Well, I know that they set up their own website, which is uh, AmericanBeerMonth.com. You can get some information there. And what they've done are there is um, 
they're actually having a different style of beer spotlighted for each week. Interesting. And uh, in true American style, it had to be, I guess, bigger and better than any other uh, country would have done it. Uh, so they actually extended their month into – it's a six-week month, apparently. Wow, it's a good month. <laughs> yeah, because it starts June 19th. Uh, it's already started. Last week, was uh, the, this featured style was wheat beer, and it goes on till July 31st. Nice. So uh, while the rest of the world only has 30 or 31 days in their month, uh, we apparently have, um, you know, 45 or so, <laughs> which is nice. It's beer time. <laughs> Um, this week's featured style, which begins today on a Sunday, is Pilsner, which um, sort of fits within our hop discussion because uh, we can talk a lot later about noble hops that are that are used yes. are very often in Pilsners and, um, and and why you'd use those kind of hops. And I think a lot of people wouldn't consider a Pilsner a hoppy type of beer, but uh, they use the noble hops because it's it's the most important part of getting a crisp, clean pilsner. So uh, it actually is a, a good discussion to have about hopping. Yeah. Uh, so we you can talk about hops, that. Don't you, Doc? Yeah. You um, do all the time. Almost exclusively. Yeah. Huh. Oh, nice, nice. What are the types of noble hops? I want to ask that later. Actually, okay. I'm thinking that that'll be our giveaway today. Oh, so yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because there's four of them that are considered the no. Well, that are generally considered the noble hops, and then there's a few other derivatives. Okay. I found four, so uh, we'll 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 get a consensus later, and uh, and then there's a few American derivatives that have taken the noble hops and sort of making made a couple of other things out of them, uh, which are which are used in American craft brew pilsners sometimes too. Nice. So I got those written down. We can talk about them later. But Let's I'm thinking it. as a quiz question, we might do a noble hop question okay. later because we do have some more stuff to give away this week, of course. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're not drinking a Pilsner for American Beer Month. I didn't uh, find out it was Pilsner until it was too late. I didn't have a chance to go out and get any. Go to the store real quick. So, but you yeah, kind of tried to make this. I did try to make a, a Pilsner <laughs> ale anyway. And, uh, Pils ale. Yeah, what are you going to do? Dump a lot uh, of hops in it. <laughs> so, okay. And then one other thing that I thought was interesting is I found a new website while I was searching around about the American um, Beer Month. And it's a uh, beer health website. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it's beerhealth.com. And I'm giving them a plug just because I thought it was a cool site. There's lots of, um, I don't know, there's just good information on there. Some of it is is very general, so I'm not going to say it's the best site I ever I ever saw. It it well it talks a lot about you know we talked about it in our first week and I and I got some information off the site that we'll talk about the health effects of alcohol and, and drinking it, beer. Is that the one I've heard of? That's a lot of it's more geared towards health than it is for beer. Well. Everything that they talk about with health is related to beer and other, and sometimes wine. So no, it, it, it's, it's not so much telling you how to live healthy. It talks about a lot of the controversial discussions about how many drinks a day you should have, what, uh, you know, disease and, and beer, like in the past, like the history of medicine and alcohol mm. and things like that. Some of it is very general type of things because the debate is ongoing about how much you should drink and, uh, you know, how good it actually is for you. So, you know, it, it's not, it, it, some of it isn't brilliant, but it, they do give a lot of, of, of studies and they'll actually give you the statistics and what people found, uh, throughout different studies, uh, from around the world. I think it's a European site too. So a lot of the studies are done in Europe, but, uh, I wrote down a few of them just because I thought it was cool stuff that we could talk about. Please share. So for Please. one, in the first week, Dr. Scott and I were talking a little bit about uh, how many drinks a day is acceptable mm-hmm. and, and how that's debated. So I found a study on there uh, on the beerhealth.com about um, exactly that, how many drinks a day uh, doctors and whatnot consider to be acceptable. Curious if it's based on weight. 
It's not. Interesting. It's not. And, and they specifically stated that, actually, that, huh. that they didn't find that weight had a lot to do with the effects of alcohol. What about liver size? Uh, they didn't talk about that. But what it is really is, in general, it has nothing to do with beer. It's all the alcohol. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly. It's the alcohol that has the both positive and negative effects on you. Although, right. you know, you, you can talk about calories and things like that. But, but mostly what they're talking about in how many drinks a day you should have is the relation to uh, diminished risk of heart disease. And hypertension. And hypertension. Exactly. Lowering the risk. Uh, although there's another study I found, too, which I'll discuss, that, 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 that doesn't have to do with heart disease. Uh, it's actually, it actually has to do with diabetes. Uh, so they found some good things about really? that, too. Really? Yeah. I have, a lot of, I have a family member that has a diabetes. So. so do I. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. Although uh, my family member in particular drinks enough alcohol for, for most of the diabetics in, in, in his state. <laughs> so I don't think that he falls under the it helps you oh, stage. But, uh, okay. Most doctors debate that the average drinks per day one should have is one to four. It's one to four drinks. And some doctors uh, consider that different from men to women. So if, for example, they think it's two drinks a day for men, they would say one drink a day for women. Um, I don't have statistics about that, but I'm just giving you an overview of what the general debate is. So one to four is the basic uh, adjustment there. So a French medical journal, which I didn't bother writing down the name of it because I wouldn't pronounce it right anyway. Uh, <laughs> they interviewed uh, they stu- yeah they interviewed 791 Belgian doctors and 1,201 consumers, and they wanted to know what they thought wow. was the average that one should drink per day. So 7% of doctors that they interviewed and 16% of the consumers said that two a day is what they thought was was the right amount of alcohol to be consuming in order to be healthy about it, to actually help your heart, your lack of heart disease, I should say. Um, so almost half of the doctors they interviewed, so almost half of the 791 said that four a day was just about right. That's a great number. Yeah, these are the guys I like a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> the four-a-day guys. One of them is based on region, too. Oh, they're Belgians. Yeah. yeah. They are, which actually surprises me that they, that, you know, that they would keep it down to four-a-day. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, but almost half said four-a-day. But check this out. One in three doctors, which is still a fair number if you ask me, said that six drinks a day wow. is, a, is a good amount to have. You know, and, and these guys I like even better. I can accept one in three. You yeah. average six a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess over a seven-day period, because I might skip a day, I would guess that I average more like seven or eight wow. a day. Yeah, Because there are certain days that good. I'm having a lot more. Yeah. Like, for example, I just got back from Tahoe uh, yesterday. And uh, I was trying to calc. I-, I was real drunk by the time I went to bed, which is about seven a.m. when I went to bed. Uh, and I tried to calculate back how much I'd actually had to drink. I could only get in the ballpark of about sixteen beers and four Captain and Cokes. Was was about yeah. it's about the ballpark I could get into. And how, how long do you want to live? <laughs> well, I, I want to live a good quality of life. Quantity <laughs> is not exactly okay. what I'm going for. Right. No, he's, he's in his twenties. He still thinks he's indestructible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm just still real dumb. Is what it is, <laughs> I think. He's culling uh, those brain cells. Yeah. Although I do not the slow ones, so the other ones can survive. There you go. I'll tell you this though: I had a scare in my family not too long ago. Heart disease is something that runs in my family. My brother's only two years older than me. He had a stroke um, right around Christmas time. 
Uh, and I found out that, that all of the men in my family have had either heart attacks or bypass surgeries and whatnot. They're not living short lives. They are living to be old. Um, but, but their, but their quality of life when they get to the older age is pretty bad. Like that's when they're starting to deteriorate. Okay. So, it took me a long time because I'm a little slow sometimes to start taking note of the older people in my family and their quality of life at that point, and that was pretty scary. So it got me – it didn't exactly cut down my drinking, but it got me exercising in between drinking. There you go. So, hey, baby steps, right? 12-ounce curls. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I do know CPR, so if I have to come over this bench – Sweet. Uh, and I, I'm good? You're good? We're going to film right, cool. that, too. <laughs> and uh, probably by the end of the show, you might get drunk from doing CPR on me. <laughs> it's possible, too. Uh, okay, there's a little more to that study. Um, 9% of the doctors that were interviewed said that nine glasses a day was totally acceptable. Was wow. a good amount to have in the prevention of heart disease. It's like a meal. Those are my guys right there. Yeah. The 9% guys. I think uh, you wouldn't care if you had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But really, I mean, if I had nine glasses of wine, which to me is a completely different type of drinking, you know, as far as your Well, I think, I think it was just a dose of what, you know, one glass of wine, one beer, one shot of hard it's alcohol. It's all the same, right. It's all, yeah, all the same. But I'm saying that I could have nine beers and be in a lot better shape than if I had nine glasses of wine. If I have nine glasses of wine, pretty much my whole upper area of my body just goes <laughs> numb. It really goes numb. You go with that numb thing again. I get that a lot. You could pretty much smack me across the face after nine glasses of wine. We should try that. And I would have thought like a fly <laughs> landed on it or something. I wouldn't have known. It's like, yeah, nine. I'm, I'm yeah. having a heart attack, I think. <laughs> uh, where's my beer? <laughs> okay, so there's your, uh, you know, it, it's really up to you guys at home, you know, how much you want to drink a day. It, it, the consensus is one to four, uh, although it's all debated. Anything more than that, and uh, you know, you you actually go the opposite for your risk in heart right. disease. You actually then increase your risk in heart disease. So, See, I uh, just I just wait till I come over here and I make up for the week for the rest of the week. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we finished all your beer, Doctor Scott. It was damn good. Oh, yeah. thank you. Two it weeks. Was, it was really two good. kegs. Actually, uh, uh, two and a half. Just I had a little one too. Yeah, there was a oh, little one too. Oh, right. I pretty much covered the little one. Because uh, I, I don't drink Hefeweizen. I had a couple glasses of yours because I was telling you that's all I can have, and I seem to have some allergic reaction to it. But I pretty much drank the Kolsch by myself. Okay. And that was such a good beer. Oh, <clears throat> man. It was awesome. Yeah. Hell, it's awesome. I was highly yeah. disappointed when it ran out, I'll tell you. Yeah, that. yeah, that last one. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It was a sad time. Although it ran out at the perfect time of night. We were finishing up, right? So I only had to dip into one beer that was in my fridge, and then it was time for bed anyway. So the timing was awesome. You're okay, man. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the other study I got here we can talk about real quick is um, – I'm trying to figure out where it was from. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was less diabetes thanks to moderate alcohol consumption. So, again, with the moderate alcohol consumption. But uh, moderate drinking affords a measure of protection against the development of type 2 diabetes. Um, they found that the risk of type D- type 2 diabetes for total abstainers compared with moderate drinkers is pretty much the same as the observed risk for heavy drinkers. So what they found was that there's pretty much a U scale of how moderate drinking uh, or excessive drinking or not drinking at all affects – it's a bell curve, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Um, you're right. And I don't know. I think this one actually <laughs> said – it didn't say bell curve. It said U scale, which yeah, yeah. is retarded because you're totally right. It's a bell curve. Hey, yeah, they're yeah. Europeans. Yeah. Upside uh, down. Uh, they, they actually, here's how they said it. They said that they found a general U-shaped relation between alcohol and type 2 diabetes. Uh, minima among moderate drinkers, maxima among total abstainers and heavy drinkers. Which to me is interesting that if you don't drink at all, 
or if you drink a lot, your risk is is exactly the same to type two diabetes. But if you drink in moderation, huh. um, you can actually cut down your risk of it. I'm trying to look if they put an actual ratio. I know that what they studied was 11,900. Doesn't matter. That's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's better. Um, nothing. Moderate drinkers between 6 grams and 48 grams of alcohol a day had approximately 30% less chance of type 2 diabetes than non-drinkers. Uh, the risk run up by drinkers taking 48 grams of alcohol and more a day was found to be uh, comparable to that of total abstainers. Um, so what they actually predict is, is, is about 100 million new cases of diabetes type 2 uh, expected for the next 20 years, in the, in the coming wow. 20 years. And it's mainly due to an increasingly sedentary lifestyle and obesity, that, is what they say. Eating bad food then. Uh, yeah, eating bad, well, just, just poor eating habits in general right. and, and a lack no of exercise. movement. Yeah. Uh, yep. I think that as things become more convenient in our society, we become more sedentary all the time. That's true. And we sit around a lot more. Kind of why your kegger is right next to the couch. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, and occasionally when it's movie time, we attach an extension cord to it and actually put it right next to the couch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know. That's dedication. It's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Soon we'll just run like multiple straws. Directly to yeah. our mouth. All you have a camelback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, if diabetes runs in your family, um, it doesn't in mine. Uh, all the people in my family have diabetes caused it themselves by like excessive sugar consumption and uh, and a lack of physical exercise. Um, but if it does run in your family, you might want to consider uh, some moderate drinking. You know, you might want to have a couple beers a day. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing they talked about when they're talking about the health benefits of alcohol is that they would never recommend that people should drink, even though they could recommend that if you're going to drink, drinking in moderation will help these different effects. And the reason they said that they would never actually recommend drinking is because the risk of drinking excessively, that few people are able to keep it under control and, and, and you know keep it down to their two to four drinks a day. So they say that the doctors in general or like let's say the American Health Association mm-hmm. would never say you should drink because of the of like the, the, the snowball effect of Liability, drinking. Yeah. 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 Which is which is interesting because there are definitely proven um you know so could we benefits like, of drinking. Could we like buy credits from non-drinkers and that way it would even out the whole society? Yeah, like the, <laughs> it's like the Kyoto uh, protocol for uh, that environmental protocol yeah. for drinkers though. You can buy your friends credits. Cause I could get a few credits out of John. John sisses out a couple days a week and I could buy those weekly you credits from John. I would give them to you. Yeah. And, uh, actually our, uh, Daniela's not working the, the, the forum for you guys today just to let you know. Andy's working it for us today. Yo, Andy. Uh, the lovely Andy instead of the lovely uh, Daniela <laughs> is doing the chat room for us. We could could buy a lot of credits from Andy yes. because, uh, especially because he didn't even start drinking until like late last year. Is that right? It was like late last year, right, Andy? Yeah, it was early this year. Early this year. What even. did you drink? Uh, and what was your first alcoholic beverage? Let's talk to Andy. It's interesting to get a, a never drinker before. What was your first alcoholic beverage? Uh, Aside, I know you had had a taste or two before, but your own beverage. I think it was a was a White Russian. Oh, that's what I had. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. I, I, I think you bought that for me. Actually, I remember that. Yeah, uh, Justin thought, ushered me in. Yeah, he's drinking with chicks. He just decided one day, okay, I'm I'm going to start drinking, and he had a couple drinks that night, and then he quit again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then you started again. Then I started. Yeah. Hey, so I quit a hundred times. <laughs> I can quit anytime I want. Yeah, yeah, and then I can restart again too. <laughs> All right. Well, nobody Never likes again. I say that nobody likes a quitter. So, uh, you know, keep it up. Don't give up. What can you do? Are you drinking now again, Andy? Oh, yeah. You're back to drinking yep. again. 
And what's your drink of choice now? Tequila. Tequila. Yeah. You don't even like beer, do you? I don't. I I try so hard. Yeah. No, you just haven't found a beer. The right that we can pour well, down your gullet. And Justin like keeps pitching them at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, try. yeah. I, try. I try. And they're not mine. I'm not giving them mine. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to clear that up right now. I'm not giving them my home brew. I'm giving right. them the craft brews. But yeah. uh, actually, though, it's usually beer that I'm drinking. So it's your Lagunitas. It's your Hoppy IPA right. and things like that. And he's no, he's, he's never going to yeah. start with those. Should have shared a little of that Kolsch with him, huh? That, that you might have liked. It was real smooth. Yeah. But... Uh, you're going to have to go through some training, I think. We're going to have to get you on the beer. Right. So yeah. any of we'll you guys... Hold, we'll hold him down and make him drink. Yeah. Beer. Maybe I can be like an experiment <laughs> for the show. That'd be awesome. Like that. Yeah. That would be a good idea, actually. Beer virgin. All right, I'm there sold. You, go. Uh, so the, you folks in the chat room, if you need something to make fun of Andy about, then there you go. He doesn't like beer. Mm. So you can make fun of him for that. <laughs> but my point of that whole thing is that since he didn't even start drinking until this year, he's got like credits built up from, oh, yeah. you know, from the time he was oh, 16 or so. And, um, 21, 21. And then even... <laughs> <laughs> I think he's Whatever. had to. Wouldn't, wouldn't he have to prove that for back credits? That he though? didn't drink. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could probably prove it with the shape of his liver. I bet his liver is looking real nice. Yeah, but it's probably small, smaller than ours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. See, I actually people tell me about how bad my liver must be. That's a lump in your side. See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually think it's the opposite. I work out my liver quite a bit. It's you know, it's kind of like exercise. I consider it. So I think that my liver is actually in much better shape than Andy's. His doesn't ever get a workout. Mine does. His liver is lazy and fat, right? There you go. <laughs> mine's, mine's not. Although, actually, probably it's probably real fat because it, yeah. doesn't it build up fat too much alcohol? And, uh, it's, it just gets large and pumps out lots of enzymes. See, then what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> enzymes are good, right? I think that it all equates to efficiency. I have a highly efficient liver. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Scott, <laughs> having gone through med school, is like, you are an idiot. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah. see, John's got, John's got the right idea. He takes a couple day holiday every week, yeah. and the liver's a great reparative organ. Yeah. And uh, just let it heal, and then let it heal. It'll heal back. It goes right back. Yeah. I heard a 30 day rule for those who drink sort of a lot like myself that if you abstain for 30 days, all the things that kind of get left over, even after a couple days, you know, let's say you haven't had a beer for a couple days. If, right. if you drink a lot, there's still some things working right. in there. Uh, that there's a 30 day rule to get everything cleared out. You ever heard anything like that? Just sounds about right. Yeah. To get all of that, that bad junk detox cleaned out of there. I mean, you have to stop everything. But, uh, yeah, see, that's what I'm thinking. 30 days? Uh, that means no Tylenol, no aspirin. Oh, right. You that can't do horrible. anything toxic like no. that. I got no, because it all goes through your liver. But I don't need much Tylenol or aspirin if I'm not drinking. That's right. Also, so it's kind of, they go hand we in hand. We should try that. Do a test in between us. <laughs> like, I think the only thing that would get me to stop drinking for 30 days is if it were for the sake of the show, if, if the people were actually interested in, in what would happen to me. But I'll tell you, I'd be a grumpy jerk <laughs> on the show if I would. I personally don't want to see that. Yeah. yeah. I'd be a real grumpy jerk. You're nice now. Yeah. I feel like I'm giving the wrong impression here. I'm not saying that I'm walking around <laughs> drunk all day long every day of no. my life. I'm just saying I come home from work and I want to have a beer, right? And 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 one turns into six. That's all. What do you do for work? Uh, I'm a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, <laughs> when I'm not doing radio, I'm a bartender. So there you go. But I'm working on quitting that and just doing radio, which then is probably going to up my my drinking yes. to lots of good beer, a lot more hours of the day. But I just want to say that I'm not like walking around hammered all day. 
most of the time. It's not like no. you got beer on your cornflakes, right? Exactly. No, I stopped that in college. You, you talk well. I mean, your speech is great. <laughs> right. So there you go. <laughs> I do think about that sometimes, though. If my, I know that uh, your speech and that speech part of your brain is highly affected by alcohol, and there are some lasting effects uh, to the brain in those areas from alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my ambition think? about being a broadcaster or, or speaking for a living or doing anything like that is totally shot if that catches up with me, right? Yeah. Because- and then what? Am I, then I can do nothing. I really. Oh, can, you could. Yeah, you could announce baseball. I, yeah, I can maybe do that, <laughs> right? But other than that, like, I don't really have any other skills. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I I learned how to speak, and that's about it. So if that part ever catches up with me, I'm in, I'm in trouble. So I'm just hoping it doesn't. You know? Sure, it won't. One can hope, right? Okay. I'd like to see somebody who had the, that those effects catch up with them and, and compare to a normal brain, like a normal speech pattern, and then a alcohol abused speech pattern. I could probably just we'll, talk we'll to my che- dad. We'll, I, we'll, we'll, get we'll just check you at the end of the them. hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. End of this year, we'll come back to you. Mm. All right. Well, it's still hot in the studio, folks. I've begun a sweat. How about you, Dr. Scott? I'm, I'm getting a little little moist under the arms. It stays cool all day long, and then as soon as we pile in here, man, does it get hot. Now, what are you going to do? All right. Oh, yeah. You guys want to start talking about hops? Let's go for it. All right. Let's get this hop discussion underway. I think at about the 6 o'clock hour is when we're going to be giving stuff away, so... Hang in there. We have buttons now, too. We got buttons to give away. Dr. Scott yeah, gave us. Cool we got buttons. our first Brewing Network merch. Yeah, hey, swag. That's awesome. So whoever wins today, what we got to give away, gets a button to go along with yes. it. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. That would be cool. You got to wear it, though. Every with day. pride. Yeah, with pride. <laughs> or better yet, if, if your girlfriend or wife has is a well-endowed woman, if you know what I'm saying, then she could wear it. Because then it gets more... You know, we'll have to send you too. Yeah, then it gets more <laughs> better exposure. advertising for <laughs> We want good exposure out of those things. Uh, All right, let's start talking about hops. Johnny P has done some research for us some. as usual, and I and, really uh, encourage uh, some questions from the chat room. Cool, or I, calls, or calls. Eight 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 four zero one beer. Eight 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 four zero one beer. Yeah, we'll talk. You know about B E E R, or if you can't spell, it's two three three seven. So, uh, all right. What do you got for us, John? Doctor, why do we add hops to the boil? Oh, why do we add hops to the boil? Well, the whole idea of hops is so we can balance the malt sweetness with the bitterness from the hops. The boil actually takes the soft resins, the iso or the alpha uh, acids, and and turns them into iso-alpha acids. The boil helps to change the molecular structure of the the alpha acids, so they can actually dissolve in the beer. Interesting. Okay. Lupulins, correct? Well, that's where it comes from, the, the lupulin glands from, from the female vines, from the cones. Now, do the lupulins have the oils? Is yes, it has, it has all this. That's what the only part that you use. Okay. What about uh, whole hops versus pellet hops? Uh, that, that's a pretty good debate. Uh, you're probably going to end up getting a better... Uh, a better amount of bittering coming out of a better efficiency uh, with your pellet hops. Hmm. Because uh, the boil is not as able to break down the Well, whole well it, yeah, as soon as, as soon as the pellet hops hit the hot warp, they just dissolve. Mm-hmm. And so you've got actually, they dissolve into the liquid much more. 
and the the liquid can attack each of the lupulin glands a lot more right. than than in the leaf hops. I'll tell you this: I did a little research on my own, and about the hop efficiency and actually getting the most of, mm-hmm. uh, of of those alpha acids out of your hops. I was encouraged in the beginning of my my brewing career to use hop bags to right. reduce the amount of sediment and junk that I'm going to get in my word afterward. Right, but in doing some more reading, uh, actually a good churning boil and having those hops mm-hmm. churning and rubbing together mm-hmm. is a better way to get more hop efficiency. So I sort of I, I developed a method instead to not use hop bags uh, hop and reduce that the amount of trub that I get. So what I do is I never use hop bags anymore. I dump it all right in there, and I and I try to get as as vigorous a boil as I can. Uh, I'm over a stove, so I got to you know until it evaporates a bit. I, then I then I really get it up there. Um, but then I go ahead and I put my word in the in the carboy. And before I pitch my yeast, I let all of that trub settle out. So I'm letting it sit for a good three or four hours, and then I rack it to another carboy. And then I pitch my yeast. And I've done about three or four batches that way, and I've gotten my best beers yet. I've gotten the hoppiness that I wanted out of my beer. I've got – actually, you know what? I'll tell you. That's probably one of the things I did wrong with this. I think when I brewed this one we're drinking originally, I didn't use hop – or I did use a hop bag. Uh And I bet that's why I'm getting that much hoppier flavor this time than I did the last – well, probably not the only reason, but I think that's a factor. It it Um, has mostly to do with bitterness. That you want to get, but see, I like a, I was finding that I was putting in a lot of hops in my hop bags, but not getting a lot of bit, uh, a lot of bitterness. What volume are you boiling? I'm starting with four and a half gallons. And so you, maybe even a little more. Actually, I'm, I'm getting real close you, to five you, gallons. You're adding water back. And I'll add, I do a one and a half hour boil. Right. And what I do is for the first half hour, I'm just getting trying to get impurities out of there, and I'll re at the end of that first half hour, I'll refill what's evaporated right back to the top of my kettle with water, okay. and that will be the last time I add water. Then I do my one hour boil from there. All right, well, that has a lot to do with is how concentrated the wort is. So any of the guys out there are doing two and a half gallon, two gallon wort boils. Yeah, uh, it's going to take a lot more to dissolve the iso acids in there. Only so much can go in. So the more concentrated it is, the harder it is to get the alpha acid to dissolve in the wort. Uh, if you, you're having trouble getting it bitter enough, you'll see a big change if you get a bigger brew pot and do a full wort boil because it's a lot less concentrated and it will go in a lot easier. Okay. I got a couple questions from the chat room. Nice. Uh, sort of about the boil here. Here's one, a good one. Um, I think this has to do with style. Uh, this person wants to know, do you add hops throughout the boil or just at the beginning and towards the end? Uh, it depends on the style, really, and, and what you want to do. Uh, rule of thumb is beginning of the boil, uh, 60 minutes or so at least, you're going to get the bitterness coming through. Right. After 30 minutes, it's going to be mostly flavor, and near the end, it's going to be aroma because okay. of the different compounds and the way they come through. And and the less amount of oils right. you're actually extracting right. from those hops, right? When you put it in a 60-minute boil, all, all the – it smells like hops when you first put it in. That's yeah. all the stuff you're wasting. It gotcha. all goes away because you can smell it. It okay. just evaporates away. But the isoalpha acids are the ones – that's why you put it in early so it can bitter. Okay. And it needs that boil to change the molecular structure so it can dissolve in there. Okay. But you're not going to get any of the cool – you know, flavors and aromas out of it. You, you will to a point, okay, but not as much. So you can really get a complex mal, uh, hop profile by adding a lot of different small increments all the way through. 
It, it's, I like doing it sometimes. It's a good experiment to do. To do less but more often throughout the pool. Right. So you do, you know, quarter ounce every 15 minutes sometimes, and that'll, that'll do it. I got an example here of, of putting a lot of hops at different points uh, from Pliny the Elder. And uh, I think that you're going to hear about this beer in particular he later when, we, yeah, when we run the Vinny uh, discussion. It's, it's his beer. It's uh, his double IPA. It's his double IPA. So he's putting in uh, he's putting in beer uh, uh, beer uh, he's putting in beer putting in hops uh, during the mash. He's putting in hops for a 90 minute boil. Hops for a, a additional Warrior hops and Columbus hops for a 90 minute boil. Simcoe for a 45 minute boil. Columbus for a 30. Uh, then he's doing Centennial and Simcoe for a one minute. All high alpha acid hops. Right. So he's putting them in all, pretty much all throughout the boil. What's the gravity on that beer? Do you know? No, I don't exactly. I think I, I do. Ten eighty. OG is seventy three. Ten seventy three. Okay. Hmm. And it goes down to ten eleven. That's good. It's a good. It's, it's a good. It's, a good beer, eight, eight, it's an eight percent beer, and uh, it's a hundred IBUs. So uh, yeah, when you get it's a goodie. When you get a thick wart like that, and it's got a lot to balance, and don't be scared of a hundred IBUs when it's a big beer like that. You wouldn't want a hundred IBUs in a Blondale. <laughs> Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> well, you might. Yeah. <laughs> that goes your liver, right? Yeah. How long? Buds. How long will hops last in a freezer in their vacuum bags? That Years. depends if you've never opened them. Mm, okay, and that's a good point. Different hops will deteriorate at, at different rates. Okay. And there have been studies on them. Certain ones will last longer. And it's generally um, the cohumulone will oxidize off of that. Okay. What's the cohumulone? Yeah. What's it, that? It's one of the alpha acids. Okay. And so it's it's tough. It's, it depends on the type of hop. It really does. If you've never opened the bag before mm-hmm. and they've been like a, a B3, they, they put them in in oxygen barrier bag sealed with nitrogen, mm-hmm. they'll last a long time because they've been handled right and in the freezer. It's good. Once you have them open, you've got oxygen in there. If you seal them pretty well, uh, you're probably pretty well off. So are we talking, when you say last a long time, are we saying uh, less than a year, more than a year? Well, it depends. You're, what you're mostly going to lose is your bittering qualities All right. to them. You can still use them for flavoring and and aroma after a year right a lot of the a lot of the the belgian brewers they use old hops because they want to get the oxidized alpha acids down and when the beta acids start to oxidize yeah. they take on more of a role in the bittering it's a little bit different okay and they want that kind of profile so they want less bitterness so it's, it's a different bitterness uh, okay which is which is the whole thing on this one. Some people say IBUs are IBUs and bitterness is bitterness, but it's not. You can do side by side with things about where you put them in if you're doing first wort hopping, as well as you know putting hops in the whole time. Could a could a home brewer tell by smell? Like if they had a year old package? Yeah, you get well. Then there's certain things that will uh, oxidize down. You'll get what they call you know call it cheesy kind of kind of smell to them if you if it's basically it breaks it down into butric acid and methyl butric acid and well that's the smell that's the smell of dirty feet and if you smell Mm. that you would you would never mistake that smell yeah there you go john smell those yeah i think i got some butric acid going on yeah and that that's what you yeah yeah keep that over there so that will give you uh some things but uh it kind of loses its potency over a while. But the, the main thing back to it is it, it depends on the type of hop it is. I've got some in my freezer that I've had in there for a long time. I date them and put them in there, put them in 
a couple of bags. Mm-hmm. I'm a little afraid to use them. <laughs> <laughs> Would a higher alpha acid be preserved better long term, or not necessarily? Yeah. You got to make an old hop batch where you just throw them all. Yeah, into, the ki- I, the, you know I, I do mean? that once in a while when I've got a lot of things left over. I just do the kitchen sink beer. Have you had one come out uh, nice? Yeah, yeah. Well, you just plant it so it comes out nice, and yeah, it does. Cool. All right, I got a good question from the uh, from the chat room here. Um, Making a pale ale that calls for an ounce of Cascade hops for flavoring at five minutes left in the boil. Okay. Can you dry hop these in a secondary instead of doing that? Sure. I don't see why not. And what's the effect, the difference in effect? You you could do both. You're going to get different kinds of of, uh, flavor and and aroma out of that whole thing. Now, when you say both, you're saying either or? And. So you could really do that five ounces right. of Cascade. It won't change the bitterness any. So whatever the okay. whatever the flavor profile is, mostly at that point, it's aroma. So even at five minutes, you're not getting any bitterness out of your hop. No, then. not real. Not okay. nothing to speak of. No. Okay. No. You know, it might add one percent. Fair enough. It, uh, it, it might add one IBU at the most, but okay. the flavor threshold on, on IBUs is about five. Okay. So you won't. You won't notice it until you get a change of five. I'm, I'm curious. Is if you added to a dry hop, does the dry hopping actually break down the hop too, like it would during a boil? No, not at all. Okay. No, the, the it's a whole different part of what's in there. The alpha acids will not go in when uh, you dry hop. Okay, it, it all has to do with with the oils and the hydrocarbons yeah. that are in there. Interesting. And that's what you want to do. And one of the things about putting it in into the hot wort is, wow, it smells good when I put that in there. Well, that's all the stuff you're losing. Right. So you're going to lose some of it that way. Okay. That's why a hot back works so well because it's a closed vessel and you're you're putting the hot wort over it to dissolve that into your beer. Right. Hold on with the hot back because I really want to talk about okay. that. Uh, yeah, I spoke to, my, to the first person. Um, man, I got to remember the name of the brewery. He was awesome. He was a cool guy, and I can't remember the name of his brewery. Uh, but he's up on the Russian River, and uh, his name's Peter. And uh, I talked to him last week. I was up at the Redwoods, and we stopped in his brewery. Made an awesome pale ale. And I asked him about dry hopping, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, I think dry hopping is gay. If you <laughs> the brewer said Yeah. He goes, if you can't get the flavors that you're looking for out of the hops that you put in your boil, well, it's aroma. then you've done something wrong. Well, the aroma, too. He said, if I don't get the proper hop aroma and taste that I want, then I adjust what I put into my boil. Now, the one thing he would agree with, which, again, I want to save till later, is a hop back. He, he loved the idea of, of the hop back, and he, and he discussed it in a couple different p- mm-hmm. parts, not just in, in, in transferring the wort, uh, which, which, again, we'll talk about. I just want to take a little break, then we'll come back, and how about we talk about hop backs then. And I got another good question we'll, we'll answer about the relationship between astringency and bittering hops. Okay. Uh, so I want to talk about that when we got. Uh, I just I need a beer. It's a little hot. Take a quick break. We'll come back and talk more about him thinking dry hopping is gay, which is the first <laughs> time I've ever heard that. It's gay. <laughs> I just looked at him and went, huh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, <laughs> give us a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about hop backs, dry hopping being gay or not gay. Uh, you can contribute to that discussion. Hey, it's, it's just hopping. It's man. just hopping. <laughs> it's hopping. All right, you are listening to The Brewing Network. We'll be right back. The Brewing Network, saving your life one beer at a time. Woo! Oh, snap. <laughs> All right. It's your AC. Got a little excited there. <laughs> 
Stumptown Brewery is the name of that brewery I was talking about. And uh, just wanted to name him. And I, and I want to say, while I said that you know he doesn't agree with, with dry hopping, his beer is awesome. So to each is their own. And he was a cool guy. I'm actually hoping he comes in the show. He's an Australian. And he basically just made fun of me the whole night. He liked my friends a lot. I was there with my two friends from Germany. He gave them T-shirts, and he just made fun of me. <laughs> you but don't see a, that every but, day. But if you're with an Australian, that's a good sign. That's That means he likes you, actually, if he feels he can make fun. He kept calling me like a hip-hop guy. He said that I, He actually, when I finally introduced myself to him, because I wanted to talk to him about his beer. It was good, and I wanted to see his system. And after he showed it and we talked beer for a while, he was getting ready to leave, but then got all excited about his beer when I started talking to him. So then he had to have another beer and... And, and he goes, too. and you too. Yeah, and and exactly. <laughs> and finally, he goes, "Well, I'm glad you came and talked to me because I was gonna throw you out of my bar because I didn't know who the hell you were coming what? in here all hip hop looking. <laughs> I even listen to your hip hop. I don't backwards. know what you're talking about. I really don't know. I think he just has a stereotypical view of. I don't know that you look like Eminem. I think I was a little too fashionable. <laughs> he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a hairy Eminem. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he was a cool guy and he gave us beer and he gave shirts to my friends and I'm hoping to get him in. I think he'll only, he said he's really lazy, so he'll only come in via the telephone, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe but, we could uh, send the car for him. Yeah. But he's totally cool. I think it'd be good to have him on a show if, if nothing else but to uh, make fun of us because he's good at that. So, but his beer was good and he didn't agree with dry hopping and, uh, and I do. But he did agree with, um, like I, like I said, hop backing. And I'll discuss a couple of the ways, I'll mention a couple of the ways that I talked about dry hopping or, or hop backing with him, and then, and then we can get into that discussion. One of the ways that he said that he, the only way he would do it at his brewery, although he said that he was too lazy even to do this, is that he would actually hop back it on the way from the keg to the tap. So it would be post. The Randall, they call it. That's mm-hmm. the Randall? Is that what yep. it is? Yep. Which to me sounds awesome. Vinny makes fun of that in his lecture. Does it's he really? Hilarious. It does it not come out good? That I've never had a beer like that. But he call, he I calls would, it the yuppie way of try hopping a beer. Oh, okay. Yeah, the okay. East Coast version. It really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> because I think it sounds like a great idea. You get uh, that fresh hop flavor right there out of it. I, I think it makes sense, but you definitely want to replace it every day. Okay. You know? Right. He talks about dry hopping only like you can actually have a good aroma for about five to seven days. After that, it just goes straight downhill. Okay. So The other way that we mentioned that night I was talking to, to this guy was uh, to dry hop on the way from your fermenter to the keg. So it's done fermenting. You're ready to, to – even even after his bright tank, he would do it from his bright tank to the keg that he was going to pour out of. He would he would do the hop back there. And then uh, and then the third way is just what you said uh, uh, before the break, Dr. Scott, where right. you would actually take your wort um, – on the way to the chiller, on or, the way. To, oh, okay. Or you can, or you can recirc right gotcha. into that. Okay, okay. It, recirculate your whole boil. Well, you just recirculate it through the through the hop back on the way. Gotcha. Uh, hmm. Okay, and now just to clarify, a hop back is an actual vessel like a like a water filter that you would that you would fill with with, with some or, sort of hops and run uh, run the work right. right through that. It's like a yeah. mini mash tun. Yeah, mine okay. mine looks like a mini mash tun. It's got an in and out and a lid and a false bottom. Okay. Uh, so yours isn't sealed necessarily. I try to seal it. Okay. It it gets messy if you, if you try to pressure it. Okay. Uh, you do really need to just gravity feed it. Control the flow in. But what if you had a big enough type of a water filter that, that in, in place of putting a filter in there, you put the hops in there? Well, I guess not completely in place of because you'd want to keep the hops After in After the boil, it, once it's cooled? The, or Yeah. Well, you got to be careful putting that heat. hot that, yeah. that hot wort through that plastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, theoretically, it could be done if the wort wasn't um, 
and, well, it, and it might be theoretically it, it wouldn't get the hydrocarbons out of out of the hops as well either. Okay, now that was my question because to me it sounded like an efficient way well, to do it. One one of the things it, it's good about it it's a closed vessel, so right. you don't lose all the aromatics into the steam and into the into the boil, and it gives yeah. it a chance to dissolve before it just goes into the air. Okay, which is actually one of the cool things about first wort hopping. Right, uh, you give it give it a time before it starts to boil. Uh, when when it's in the mash to dissolve a lot of the stuff into the mash, mm-hmm. and has a chance to oxidize and be more soluble. Okay, hmm. and it will come out at the end. Is there an amount of time that it takes for hydrocarbons to actually break apart? Uh, it depends uh, on the on the temperature okay. of what you've got. But if you're coming out of a boil, you're two twelve, let's say. Right. That's hot going through your hot back before your chiller, so it, it probably would break down. Yeah, as long as, as long as you keep the lid on it. Right. Like, like with a with a with a hot back, no air exposure. Right. Okay. Because you don't want it to volatize into the steam and smell real good in the in the brew house. Right. right. And that, that's, that's what that's what the, the hot back's a closed vessel, so it just keeps circulating through there and lets it lets it dissolve back into the wort. Right. Hmm. That's so, really interesting. You mentioning several times about you know if you can smell it, it's a bad thing because it's not right. staying in your it's not beer. Staying in your beer. Because I, I well I never would have thought I, I would have thought well it's just aroma, but it's not losing anything. And I'm always loving it when my beer smells real good. Right, right? when you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But but I guess it makes sense that in order for it to smell good, it has to be releasing things, right. and you don't want that released outside Especially of your beer. Especially at the late. The late, the late hopping additions, because that's why you're putting it in there. Okay. Especially at the end of the knockout, when you're when you're turning off the heat, throw it in there, and oh, that smells great. All the steam's coming up. Yeah. Well, how much is staying in there? Some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess you could get around that by pumping in more. Right. But uh, would you add? Would you add more aroma to compensate for your loss? If you right. Okay. Hmm. Vinny was talking about a hop precipitator, where you actually do like a tea. You steep the hops, but you keep the lid on. Right. And then you add, you have like a gallon or two gallons of water, and that keeps all that, that aroma and that solution of water. Okay. And then you run your beer through that, and that goes into your fermenter. Gotcha. All right. There's a lot of ways. Yeah. And most of them have been thought of and lots of cool ways to do it. Yeah. But a closed system is really beneficial right. to, in, in that sense, you know, have an entirely closed mm-hmm. system, which I have nothing near a closed system. Well, you could, by dry hopping, you're going to get a lot of it, you too. You get it back. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And do you add yours to a secondary or to your primary? I add it to the secondary. Cool. Uh, although, after Morgan was in here last week and, and, uh, there was a bit of discussion about what you heard from Vinny and, and what, what Morgan had to say, because Morgan has no problem dry hopping, uh, at the end of fermentation, right in his primary. Well, and the, yeah, I the really liked the idea, actually, to be honest, just because it, it's a lot easier than going to my set to, I have to then, I'm basically racking three times if I do a secondary hop. It, it doesn't really matter. When you do it, they, they call it put it in the secondary because the primary fermentation is done. Right. What you don't want to have is a vigorous fermentation and have the CO2 scrubbing the whole thing out and you're going to lose a lot of the aroma in coming out with the CO2. Okay. So once that's died down some, sure, throw it in there. All right. But then you've got to let it sit for a week or two on the nasty tube. Which is which you're is saying bad dead yeast. Yeah, dead yeast, yeah. Uh, hot break, things like right, that. Right. So you're better off putting it into a secondary. Well, with, with Morgan, he's got a conical. He vents the bottom out, takes all the sludge out of the bottom, and then he puts it into that. But he's got the uh, right idea. He dry hops at the end of fermentation. Right. 
but then he's not worrying about the off flavors from the trub because he can get it out of his conical. Right, he gets it out of the conical. Yeah, so that makes so sense. it's a matter of how, how long yeah. is the beer in contact with that tube. Yeah. But you got to have it in contact with the dry hops. Okay. Now that makes sense. All right, I got a couple more questions from the chat room. Why don't we get to these? Um, that's radio. I talk with my hands a lot. <laughs> I had to get over doing that, too. I still, I still do it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it helps them understand. Let's get back to that question I said we'd talk about. Uh, can you explain the relationship between astringency and bittering hops? Uh, how are you guys feeling about that? Okay, well, um, how do we figure that one? Uh, and, and I'll tell you, you got to really clarify it for me, too, because well, uh, what's astringency again? Generally, it's tannins, and you're going to get tannins coming in with the hops, too. Okay. But generally, those are all going to be boiled away when you're boiling them. Uh, if you put a lot of hops in at the end, uh-huh. you're going to probably get some tannins coming through because you don't have a lot of boil to drive okay. those off. Okay. Now, if we're talking about a coarse bitterness, that's a little bit different. It's not necessarily tannins. Uh, or you know, that ast- it's not really astringency as much as the coarse bitterness. All right, and you're going to get that with different kinds of hops. What you want to look for is a hop with a low co- cohumulone level. Okay, uh, some of the higher alpha ones, uh, like Magnum's, a good one. That right. uh, and uh, Columbus too. They have a low cohumulone level. It's one of the three uh, soft resins that add alpha acids. Okay, and. Uh, the cohumulone is one of the more soluble ones. It's the most soluble one. So that's going to go into solution the best. Okay. But it's also got one that's got more of a kind of a rough bitterness to it. Right. So these different cohumulones are actual flavor to a hop or? Uh, the, the bitterness. It's, and it's, it's all in the palate of how it's, the, the senses figure on it. Do you want to, like they're talking about smooth bitterness? Yeah. As opposed to rough bitterness. Okay. So if you use a lot of, High alpha hops to get your bitterness. Bitterness is bitterness. You know that. Where when you're doing a uh, nice delicate lager, they use uh, the the lower alpha acid. The hops. lower alpha acid hops, which are are you know um, the they're lower in cohumulone. Okay. Is that an, is that? But that's an actual acid part of the alpha acid that adds bitterness to a hop. Right. There's three of them. Three of the alpha acids. There's humulone, cohumulone, and adhumulone. Say those three times fast, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> three beers too. Yeah. Uh, the the noble hops are what they say they're smoother. Okay. And so they have a lot less cohumulone in them as a percentage. Okay. And that's that's where you're gonna get more of the bitterness, but it's also going to be a rougher biz- bitterness. But like a Magnum or Columbus, which is not a noble hop, right. would have a higher cohumulone. Yes, but it's got a lot more alpha acid, so you'd use less of it. Okay. But as a ratio of the cohumulone to the other alpha acids, it's it's a smaller proportion. Yeah. And that's why they bred those, hmm. where if you get into a cluster or one of those that's really high alpha acid, mm-hmm. it's got a lot of cohumulone, it's you know, it'll bitter bitter you right out there, but it's also going to be a rougher bitterness. Yeah. Would you adjust the bitterness of a beer based on that level of cohumulants? Maybe like you maybe only use it for thirty minutes versus an hour, or well, or less. A, well, the, you got well. You're, we're talking about the amount of bitterness. If we're talking IBUs, right. IBUs are the amount of bittering acids per unit. Or parts right. per million, basically. Right. And you still want the bitterness in there, but you want the quality of bitterness to come through. So you want to use a different acid, a different alpha acid content for that one. 
okay. on it. So you, you can do that by the if you're going to use high alpha acids, uh, hops, you really want to get into ones that are a lot less cohumulone. That's why they've come up with the magnums and a few of the other ones that are are just smoother. They're high alpha, so you use right. less, and it gets your IBUs in there. But it's a smoother bitterness. That makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, because they've had high alpha hops for a while. But you want you know a lot of people want to stay away from them because you know they can give a kind of a rough edgy thing onto it. Yeah. There's a lot of things that can give you a rough edgy bitterness in your beer. Right. Anywhere in the water. Right. Uh, tannins, uh, the hops you use, a lot of different things. Okay. Makes you think a lot about from a homebrewer's perspective. Yeah. Especially making recipes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I see. I'm not. Uh, when I'm measuring and calculating, you know, how much hops I'm going to put in, in a recipe, I'm really only comparing it to other recipes of the same style. I'm not actually calculating what kind of efficiency right. I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm, right. I'm just comparing. I'm not at the level of, of you know, to be quite honest, I, I wouldn't spend the time to calculate it either. I, I, I just brew because it's fun to drink, right? But, right. Um, but Well, with you, you my, should probably start out brewing you you'd like one kind of beer just keep brewing it and then yeah. tweak it each time uh, and that that's what i do yeah. I, I agree and, 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 and then get to a, a better place because of that right? right without having to to calculate the formula of of you know alpha acid compared to the well when you're looking at the the, the quality of the alpha acids you're mostly trying to decide which hops to use yeah. not how much hops to use okay okay I mean, you can find a lot of computer programs that'll do it figure out all your ibus yeah just a matter how you get there. We should get one though uh, on the BN little program right on there. You can get from us. Uh, all right, one I got day. another question from the chat room here. Um, this is an interesting one. Is making hop tea and then adding it to the fermenter okay, or is boiling in wort a better way to go? Well, if you have a closed lid, I would say hop tea. Would what, what, work. What, well, it depends on what we're trying to get: bitterness or aroma. Uh, okay. for as far That's as true. I would guess that they would have to be talking about. Well, no, they wouldn't have to be talking about it at all. They could be. Talking. A hop tea is a good thing. And it is. Yeah. Explain to me hop lid. tea. Give, give me the whole. What, what's the What's the idea there? You're You're basically boiling water and hops. Okay. And then you're going to add that later. And how long would you do that? Depending on what you want to get. Sometimes you just want to sterilize the solution and get it in there. I've never done, it, but I would do like five minutes before the end of my boil. Right. You can well, you can boil it for five minutes, or boil the water for fifteen, then right. put the hops in and let it steep, and then put it in. So you haven't had hops in your entire uh, in your wort in your boil the whole time until y- no, 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 no. You're you doing have. your normal stuff. Okay, you're bittering hop, but not your aroma. But if, if you're trying it's to get bitter, if you're trying to get bitterness out of there, you're better off putting it in into the boil. Okay, but for aroma purposes, you might get more efficiency by by doing a hop tea, right? Okay, right. because it's a closed thing, and and you're also going to get more that way. But you get more volume. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, volume, volume does have a lot to do with it. If yeah. you are off by half a gallon and five gallons, yeah. you're going to be off 5% on your IBUs. Right. See, that's an awesome idea for me because in, in, I got a five-gallon uh, kettle, right? If you're going to add and water back, you might as well add hot hop tea, water, tea, exactly. hop tea to it. So for my five and my one, if I'm doing a five-minute and a one-minute, I should be doing a hop tea to get some volume back in there. Right, and it's, sure. and it's a very dilute solution, so it will dissolve a lot easier than a very concentrated wort. And are you then – okay, so you got your hops in there. I'm gonna, in, in my case, I got my pellets in there, and I'm boiling that water, right. and then I'm just put running it through a strainer? Or am I just dumping it right in with the sediment and everything? I would just I'd dump it dump in, it in pellets. Dump yeah. it in pellets all. It'll, it'll settle out to the bottom. Okay. Right. And then you're going to rack to a seat. As long as you rack I rack before I pitch anyway. Right. Well, mm-hmm. they, yeah, I wouldn't even 
won't even Whole hops, hesitate. I'd right. use like a big hop bag. Yeah. You know. That's an awesome idea because it really gives me my volume back. I'm always concerned about how, you know, sometimes more than others, uh, that wort's really getting down in, in my kettle. You know, I'm not getting down to two gallons or anything, but I'm easily getting down to three and a half, right. you know, and I'd much rather be pouring al- almost five gallons of wort well, in there, yeah. you know. Okay. Well, your hop, your hop bitterness is going to go down with more concentrated wort anyway. Okay. It just won't dissolve in a concentrated solution. Right. So you have to add more hops to it. So if you've got a more dilute solution. Yeah. You're better off. You got to get more alpha acids All right. going in there. I'm going to give that a go. Good question. Um, Let's finish the show first. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you guys later. Uh, what effect does adding hops to your corny keg have before carbonating? Well, that's what I'm doing. Actually, I got two kegs doing that right now. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's dry hopping. I put the hops in a hop bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is it cold or warm? It's warm. It's it's room temperature. Basically, yeah. it's the secondary. Put it in the corny uh, hop bag. I weighted it down. Um, I just use a stainless steel fitting, and I put that in there. Uh, it's hot bags in there. I use uh, the gas quick disconnect to a tube into basically a blow-off tube for it, so it's open to air, yeah. and it can just finish fermenting as little as it's doing mm-hmm. and finishing out. Hmm. I'll probably let it go till Wednesday. Was it a and week? then what? And then you got to rack it again long? to another yeah, keg. Yeah, I'll put it into another keg because it's actually in the bright tank now. I'll get it cold and let everything drop out, and then I'll put it into another keg. But you're going to go to another bright tank because it's warm right now. Well, it's warm. I'll, I'll, I'll just put the whole thing okay. into the deep freeze and get it cold. Oh, and then that's your bright tank. Right. So you, okay. Yeah. Now, so a bright tank is when you're actually you're taking your beer and you 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 keg it up, or you generally you keg it up and you you store it cold then for an amount of time to to let the yeast and and other right. sediments I try to drop, drop out as much of it. yeast and everything and all the proteins out, let it coagulate cold. Okay, drop to the bottom, it'll settle settle down in the bright tank. It's basically got my corny keg with about an inch cut off of the dip tube. Hmm. So I'm going to lose a little bit of beer, but it'll come out a lot cleaner. And I just rack it out of there. Without, gotcha. without moving that keg, and I get really nice keg out of that. Right, that's a good idea. And now, so that's a, a great alternative to filtering your beer, basically. Yeah, okay. I still filter. You do. Yeah. Okay. But and you, bright you filter tank. pre pre bright tank or post post like, post bright. Really? All right. That's why the hell is so clear. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you look at it every time you go, like, "Damn, that's nice looking." Beer. See my hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's a good one uh, about growing some hops, which I got a little information about growing hops here too. Uh, is there an easy way to tell when homegrown hop combs are ready to pick? Um, well, we can start with that, then I'll ask the second part. When homegrown hop cones are ready to pick. I understand it as, uh, you actually, when you, when you, you, you want to grab a hold of them and you want them to be nice and firm as you're, as you're squeezing them, right? Right. If there's any, if there's, I, I don't want to say any give, but if there's a, a significant amount of give, you can actually squeeze it and smash it. It's not ready. Is that right? Um, I, shoot, I don't really know 100%. Okay. You know. What I've read, uh, cause I'm growing some too, and I did a little, uh, research before I did so, is that you, you really want it, want it to be firm. You want it to be a nice, tight pack. It shouldn't be mushy. Right, so you want to be able to squeeze it, not like the other. Uh, <laughs> there's a different family of vine that grows. There's <laughs> same family, different plant that. Now that one you want to be a little more mushy, mushy. Moist, but right. but the hop one you want it. You, you just want it to be a nice firm cone. Mm-hmm. Is how I understand it. Firm cones. Yes, firm cones you are like good. Firm cones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second part then would be, uh, and I don't know if you guys will know this then either. If I use a dehydrator right. uh, to dry them, how do I tell when they're dry enough? I think the rule of thumb is about 24 hours. Yeah. You don't want to overdo it. I think you're right about that. Uh, I haven't done it yet, 
but I was actually going to take my dehydrator and build a tall box Mm -hmm. and put the dehydrator in the bottom of the box and have it blow up through the box. Gotcha. Probably do with a cardboard box, too, Hmm. because you only want to layer it about one layer of cones. I was... uh I was reading also about the dehydrator. I can tell you this: uh, uh, that uh, I, I think you're right about the 24 hours, and and um, unless, of course, you're you're uh, running blow dryer type of thing through it, then you then you're doing it a little faster. What you do want to do is is you want to do it directly after your harvest. When you mm-hmm. harvest your hops, day of, right? If, yeah, if you let them sit, they're going to get moldy and they're going right. to go bad. So you want to do it directly, right? Hmm. And then when you're done, as soon as they're dry, you also want to fridge them up real quick mm-hmm. or use them, obviously. Right, but try to put them in an oxygen barrier bag. Yeah, you're getting a lot of moisture right when you right. They're, they're very moist, even though they're firm when you're harvesting them. Right. You want to get that out right away because that moisture turns into mold very quickly. So I can tell you that, and I think Doctor Scott's right. If you're going to use like a, you can use a regular screen like off your house, you know, or, or two of them. You pull a couple screens off your window. Sure. Yeah. Just, put the hops on one, lay the other one on top of it, leave just, it out. Probably yeah. You know. You want to obviously have you know not moist weather. Use the dehydrator in the bottom and just layer open boxes with screens in between. Okay. Just have it blow up through the top. There you go. That's a good idea too. Uh, I I, try that. Just some some hop information in general. Since we're talking about harvesting them and stuff, I I was finding out some statistics about hops today. Uh, We uh, uh, the world produces about eighty thousand tons of hops a year from only from one hundred and thirty five thousand eight hundred and fifty acres. Um, so the well, first is there a percentage of region too? Like uh, America versus I didn't yeah. get a percentage, but um, America is a very, very small percentage. Wow! And and it mostly includes Washington. Yeah, like yes. Washington is our biggest. Oregon, uh, Washington, yeah. and a little bit of Idaho. Yeah. Oh, Idaho too. Okay, yeah, a little bit. I know, I know that o- that even Oregon, I think, pales in comparison to Washington. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, but the they Lamont do. Valley do. is almost all helps. Yeah. Cool. Um. So so yeah, that's our region, and then there's Australia, New Zealand. And then the rest are in the German Czech Republic area there, you know, like your Hallertau mm. and your uh, Czech Saws, uh, things like that. So 80,000 tons. There's uh, approximately, and, the, and there's new ones coming out, but there's approximately 40 varieties of hops right now. So, And I think new ones have even come out in the last uh, two years. Like Magnums is, yeah. is relatively new, right? Can you and, tweak uh, hops? Like actually clone them differently? or yes. That's what they're doing. Mostly yeah. they're... they're marriages of one hop or another and a lot of it comes because they want them to be disease resistant yes which they've not done it yet there there, right. there is no known disease resistant hop yep. but they're also you, you do it uh, as i as i mentioned at the beginning of the show uh to get noble hops uh over here um out in the west uh they'll do the same thing like mount hood for mm-hmm. example mount hood is a derivative of noble hops they've taken uh, strains of that and and try right. to get our own over here to to try to get some new flavors so you'll find a lot of craft pilsners made with mount hood um, and there was another one in there too. Although Vinny talks about uh, Anheuser Busch, they use Willamette, but now they're going to Glacier because they did, they stopped using Willamette because they found that it actually adds metallic flavor to the beer. Mm-hmm. So, well, when your beer doesn't taste like mush, <laughs> that's true. Everything okay. comes out. I had some other <laughs> stats here about the hop production too. Uh, your average hop vine is twelve to twenty years of production. And and that 20-year deal is part of the reason we started to make some Mount Hood and things like that out here, too, to get some new strains going. But, yeah, 12 to 20 years, That's which is quite a – you know, that's a, that's that's pretty a good heck plan. of a plant. Yeah, yeah to be going for, for 20 years. Uh, they can get up to 24 to 25 feet high, 
uh, you know, according to how you're setting them up. Mine, uh, I did not set them up very well, and I'm lucky to get six feet out of them. They're like they're really spreading out to the left and right now, but they don't like it one bit. They want to keep going up. Yeah. So uh, if you set it up right, they can really get up there, and that's a good, healthy plant. And the other thing is it, uh, it, it, this was really interesting to me. Uh, in, in the most favorable conditions and with a really healthy vine, they can grow up to 35 inches a day. Mm-hmm. 35 wow. inches, which pretty much means you could sit there and watch it grow. You would be able to hey, see hey, it. Hey, Clem, let's watch the hops grow. <laughs> that would be so yeah. odd. Which, uh, for some reason, I could totally see myself doing. <laughs> you know, a keg of the beer keg and, a, and a hop plant, <laughs> and I'm the most entertained. And, like, I'm totally entertained. Did you see that? I'm happy. Beer yeah. dork. You see it? I just, it just moved. It just I moved. I swear. That one moved. Give me another beer. No, it didn't. Another beer. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be great. Look, it was only that big before. Now it's that big. <laughs> uh, let's see. Another question oh, from the chat room here. I know you get better extraction from pellets during the boil. Uh, what about dry hopping? Pellet, hole, or plug? Depends who you ask. On. You'd have to do it, I think, yourself to know what you like. Well, John, you've mentioned to me something about if you were to dry hop, say, in a in a bag. Okay, like Dr. Scott's got his hops in the, in the keg right now. In a bag. In a bag, right. Now, you had mentioned that sometimes with whole hops, you can end up with a dry spot. It's possible. In the middle of that bag. It could be just, there'd be, I don't know what the word coagulate together, yeah. but there'd be a dry spot in the very center, uh-huh. and put, potentially something could start growing. Right. It's a Bacteria theory. Bacteria or something. I, Chris Graham told me that as, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. That's I've never it. done it, but it makes sense. I mean, because, I don't know, they swell up. And I think we need to be shrunk down into <laughs> in a s- submarine and go there <laughs> and find out. <laughs> yeah. Find out. Are you stoned, Dr. Scott? <laughs> 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 That's what I want to know. We all live it. <laughs> oh, man. Journey to the bottom of the world. I think in general, uh, pellet hops are designed to be more efficient in general, right? So, uh, if well, there's, I a lot, there's a lot of good things about pellet hops and some bad, bad things. Bad things, too. Uh, the good thing is it, they're crushed and it opens up the lupulin glands some. But they're also packed tight, so it does keep it from oxidizing so much. The lupine glands from oxidizing so much because they are protected. But they also create heat when they do that. So that's the downside. How do they create heat? Pressure causes heat. Right. But when you throw them in, they create a... I don't follow. No, no, no. When they make them. Oh, when they make them. Okay. Plus they disperse a lot lot better. Do you damage it at all, though, when you do that? Like some of the flavors maybe get stripped. Yeah, it? it's two point. Okay. Hmm. I, about for, I, I forgot exactly what it oxidizes, but it it does change some things with with a little bit of the heat. Okay. But you do get better bittering out of it for okay. a few different reasons. But uh, dry hopping, I'm I don't, I don't use whole hops At that all. often. Okay. But I'm dry hopping with them now. You are yeah. okay. All right, interesting. I'm yet to use a whole hops. I've not, I've, ne- I've never used. Them. I'm always using pellets, but I'd like to use whole hops just to, get, you know, check out the difference myself. Not only in 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 dry hopping, but in the boil too. I mean, I know that there's pretty much everyone I've talked to said there's no reason to use whole hops in a boil. You're going to get better efficiency out of your out of your pellets, but I'd like to try it to see the difference myself. You know, I think it's worth the experiment. Right. You know, well, people have talked about whole hops being fresher too. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not stressing them as much. They're they're the real deal. They're yeah. not engineered. Right. There's also hop plugs too, right? Which are compressed whole hops okay. and half ounce plugs. Yeah. Okay. So if you're into just adding half ounces, right? And then they explode and they open up and really flowers. Yeah. 
And they're not, they're not as, they're not as crushed as, as the pellets are. But it's the same thing. They've taken a bunch of hops and jammed it together in a plug. In a plug. Yeah. You just throw that sucker right in there and and it expands. Yep. That's weird. Yeah. Cool to watch. Hey, while we're talking about hops, we talked about this for a second, uh, last week. I don't know why I like to talk about this stuff. Just because it's weird. We were talking to Morgan yes, uh, last week about uh, smoking hops. Dr. Scott, you ever smoked your hops? Like, like I know. tried. You did try it? I've tried smoking Since hops. our discussion? No. This oh. was when I first started brewing. Did I have the discussion before you got here last week? This was before we started this. This was like two years ago. I got years any ago. Hops? No, no, I mean, did, were you in on the discussion last week when we talked about smoking hops? Because I don't remember you first jumping up and saying you, you smoked hops. So you must not have been here. I wasn't here. And did you, what happened to you? Did it tasted bad. It just tasted bad. That's <laughs> pretty burned. much what Morgan said. It burnt and it tastes bad. <laughs> but I was curious. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nothing exciting to share about, and, you know? Yeah. See, he said that last week, too. He's like, yeah, it tastes bad, and you might even get a headache. And, yeah. and, and I said, yeah, all right, I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm just <laughs> retarded like that, and i got to know myself. <laughs> but, uh, Doc Scott, you didn't answer the question. Uh, no, I haven't tried that. <laughs> This guy that I heard it from, you didn't tell my, me My bong week. got put away in the 70s. So did, I don't have any either, but I'm just going to roll it up if I can. Mine got put away in the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I threw mine away. In the early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> Come on, it inch it up a little more. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. The early to nine, late 90s. Vinny talks about Columbus hops in his lecture. And how smoking them? Well, how they smell like dank. He refers oh, yeah. to it. So. Yeah, I saw that on his sheet, actually. Yeah. Hey, let's give this thing away real quick while we're at it here sure. talking about hops. Thing. Uh we got another gift certificate to B three. It's our fourth and final, I think, until we yeah. unless we renegotiate. Uh it's our fourth and final. So if you want a, a free twenty bucks to B three, you're gonna have to get in on this one this week because I don't know what we're gonna have next week. How are we gonna give it away? Uh I want the names of the four noble hops. And I've got them written down here. Dr. Scott, do you agree with me that there are four Noble Hops? The original, yes. Okay. So I got the names here of the four original Noble Hops. And I want it over the phone because there's no reason you guys can't call in. I guess unless you're on a dial-up connection and you're using your phone. I kind of want a phone call, though. I want to hear somebody's lovely voice from across the country out there. Use a cell phone. Yeah, there you go. Pick up your cell phone. It's a free call, 1-888-401-BEER. I want to know the names of the four Noble Hops that you use, right? Um, and while we're waiting for that, let's talk about some beers that that, uh, are, you, that you use Noble Hops for and, and why they're called Noble Hops. What do you guys know about that? Well, there's Saws Hops. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoa, whoa, stop, buddy. Stop. <laughs> I don't want to know the Although names. Oh, you just them. gave away yeah. about five bucks. I guess you only got to uh, remember three of the of the Noble Hops. It's 888-401-BEER. All right, Johnny P. I'm trying to encourage the phone calls. All right. Well, a lot of the more delicate beers, uh, you know, like the Bohemian Pilsners and things, that's all they'll use is basically sometimes one kind of hop, uh, bittering flavor, aroma all the way through. Right. Uh, they do believe that you don't lose everything in the boil, so you will have some carryover from your bittering hops into the flavor profile. Gotcha. Uh, most of the of the noble hops have a low cohumulin level, mm-hmm. so it's believed that they have just a a mellower, more kind of a pristine kind of a bittering flavor, everything okay. to them. There and and yeah, I think it's the the exact reason, well, the general reason they're called noble hops. Why they were originally is that softer right. and was considered then much better bittering quality out of that right. hop than than other hops which were considered inferior because ones we don't had, even see anymore. Right, with their harsher bitterness right. and just and 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 poor efficiency. Um, so noble, right. the name noble became because these four strains really were superior right. to the other hops around, and you want that soft, 
nice, smooth bitterness in, in a Pilsner. In a nice Pilsner, a nice yeah. soft Pilsner or yeah. a Hellas. Or a Hellas, too, yeah. Are they used in ales? I've uh, used um, the, the the IPA you guys are drinking now is all saws. Oh, that's not true. It was boiled with all saws, and then it was dry hopped with uh, Cascade. Cascade. But uh, the whole boil was done with saws hops there. But what about in general? Do Spicy. Yeah, a little spicy. I used Amarillo in in the original one, but it's out of season. Yeah, but that that helped. That that was nice. Amarillo's nice. I like Amarillo, and that's a smooth one too. Popular I think now. you get it's bitterness, like, but it's smooth. Yeah, well, it's like a super cascade. Okay, all right, it's fair got, enough. It's got a lot of that. So tiny citrusy kind of. Crisp. What about then commercial or, or you know craft brews? Are there any other ales besides mine that are using noble hops? Anybody? You guys got examples of that? I'm not sure. Chat room, maybe they know. I'm going to look up in the book here. Dr. Scott's yeah. brought his uh, ale Bible, his beer Bible. i got several beer Bibles. It's <laughs> full of info. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a beer Bible. I have a beer shrine, but I don't have a beer Bible. Your recycling bin? Yeah. Between that and my <laughs> kegerator <Yeah. laughs> is pretty much my my beer shrine. I think we got a phone call coming through, so we'll see if they got the answer right. to the the four noble hops. Uh, a couple, like I said, Mount Hood is is an American derivative of noble hops. Also, Liberty. Liberty is one that was bred to uh, to be similar to to the noble hops, and that's an American one. Sam um, Sam Adams Boston Lager uses Heller Tower Mitter Fruit. Ah, there you go. But then I guess what they always say too. <laughs> Lion. Oh yeah, they do. They say yeah. it on the thing. You got a phone call there for us? All right, let's see what's up with that. And I just I just spilled another five bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh please, dude. go ahead. Uh, hi, you're on the air. Yeah. Hi. Hey, how you yeah. doing? How's it going? What are you drinking Good. first? Uh, an IPA. Cool. Nice. Your own IPA? Yeah. What kind of hops did you use? Um, uh, I don't remember what I used in that one. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who's drunker, you or me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? My name's Brian. Brian, and where are you calling from? I'm calling from Barstow, California. Are, are you Barstow? serious? Dude, I'm yeah. from, I'm from, uh, you want to know that this is weird because nobody's from that place except for you and me, Brian. I'm from Hesperia. Oh, really? So what, I'm like 40, I was 40 minutes south of you, right? Yeah. Barstow, you got a little more happening than we had in Hesperia. Let me tell you something about Hesperia. There's nothing to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Barstow's even worse. (laughs) Uh, it's the high desert in California, so it's, uh, it's a good 30 degrees in the winter and 100 degrees in the summer. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's always plenty to do. Uh, How hot is it? About 105. 105. Oh, man. But like it is in the studio. Yeah, just like it is in the studio. That's why I built the studio with no AC, because I wanted to remember my roots. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are welcome. And I wanted you guys to have to experience it. Although Barstow has the outlet mall. You guys got lots of outlets there, right? Yeah. That's your claim to fame, isn't it? Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do out there, Brian? I ride motorcycles and go off-roading a lot. Nice. That's about all there is to do yeah. called desert. That's what I did when I was there too. Rode motorcycles, got in motorcycle accidents, broke motorcycle parts. You know, broke your body, all that kind of Bones, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> How long you been brewing? Uh, about two and a half or three years. Okay. And uh, are you doing like are you doing lagers or you doing ales? Mostly? I've done a few lagers, three or four. That's about it. Okay. Now, so when you do an ale out there, how are you keeping that at fermentation temperature? Do you have to fridge that too? They have air no, conditioning I put it out in a, there. 
I put it in a tub, like a little tub, and I put water in it and uh-huh. put ice cubes in the water. Nice. That's what I'm going to do with my next batch. I've not done it's that yet. It's pretty constant. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to keep it too long. You got the answer to our question. Yeah. All right. You. Go for it. Uh, Hollow Tower. Yeah. Pittenanger. Yeah. Uh, Spalt. Yeah. And check sauce. There you go. There you go. And Ryan's our winner. Now, did you just look that up on the internet real quick? No, I looked it up in a book. <laughs> well, this is an open book test. So. <laughs> yeah, it's totally open book, so you win. All right, we're going to give you $20 to spend at B3. You ever shopped there before? Yeah, that's the only place I shop. Oh, nice. What you going to buy? You got any um, idea? I don't know. Hops. <laughs> Probably another kid or something. Cool. There you go. Now, do you, do you have any homebrew supply shops near you at all? That's the closest one in, in Riverside. Oh, that's right. They have the location in Riverside, too. Man, that's rough. Yeah. That See, I'm yeah. so spoiled. You too, Dr. Scott, because we drive around the corner, and there yeah, it is. Yeah, there man. it is. Yeah. Lots I went of the... down there yesterday, but I usually order the online. Okay. I'm Carl Tree. Yeah. Not from that Carl guy, right? <laughs> is that the yeah, guy down there? Yeah, I saw him yesterday. Nice. Uh, next time you see him, tell him Dr. Scott hates him. <laughs> <laughs> that's not nice, Dr. Scott. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> he knows what I mean. <laughs> All right, Brian. Hey, cool. So uh, hang on the line because Andy's going to take down your information. We just need an email address from you, and uh, we'll send you the gift certificate. You can spend it online if you want. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thanks for the call. Hang on a second. Okay. Cheers. All right, cool. So we give a little ah, – that's awesome. A little desert guy's getting the nice. certificate. I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. yeah. Some about uh, desert desert kids and dudes, we we stick together. We got a bond that nobody else has. It's got to be hard to brew in an environment like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was definitely not a brewer then. I, I drank a lot of beer there. I was wondering why you were a little off. Yeah, that's why. Oh, that's the other thing about desert people are are, are, are weird. I mean, yeah. no offense, Brian. I'm just as weird as you probably are. Uh but I'm just there's just something about it's the it's the high altitude because you're yeah. in the desert, but you're at like five thousand or four thousand right. elevation, which is just weird in itself. Who puts the desert on top of a mountain? Right, right. But uh, who I does? That, I saw that movie, <laughs> Hysteria Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it. Uh, although, and as weird as the place is, uh, there's a huge population up there. It's really spread out. But like uh, when I was in high school, uh, we graduated like 5,000 kids in one graduating oh, class. that's horrible. Which is just huge. You know what I mean? Which is the other reason I'm not too bright. But, uh, yeah, they had a lot of time. <laughs> a lot yeah. of time for everybody. Yeah. Oh, it's like 60 kids in a class. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had to make friends with all the teachers and, and, and give them beer in order to pass. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a freshman class at UCLA. <laughs> Is that your med school? Is that where you went? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you look at the professor and he looks like, like Mick Jagger from the last row. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, all right. Um, his hands. Uh, yep. That's cool. Thanks, Matt. All right. You guys got anything else to cover about hops? Because uh, I'm about ready to move on to Vinny if you don't have any other important things. No. I think you know? we pretty much covered everything. All right. I think the questions have been answered. No, there's lots of hops more been cover, discussed. We talk about there... first word hopping. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, let's talk about, you know, we only talked about pretty much dry, you know, post-wort uh, hopping and, and wort hopping. What about mash hopping and uh, and... You know, the, the other processes. I mean, right. some people Pre-boil. like uh, Vinny and his Pliny, pretty much hops in every part of. Hey, he tries to the, get. He's trying to get more hops in there than any man has ever gotten. Which he's you know, achieved. I appreciate. He does it and well. I respect. It's not that easy. No, 
I can read his his whole hop bill, right? He gave it out, and, and it's going to be on the lecture too, right? <laughs> go for it. I'll tell you what. Well, he said he'll it was call okay to us if there's so. a problem. Vinny's cool. I don't think I have a problem. With it, so. All right. Uh, hey. All right. Well, we'll have him on the show, and he can kick your ass then. That's yeah. fine. I'm in totally, August, he'll be here. So. I'm fine with it. Is he coming in August? August 14th. Right. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'll just run through it real quick. Chinook, one and a half ounces. That's in the mash, although he writes that down as optional. See, as a homebrew, I add it to my mash, but I think it just brings out flavor. It does. Okay. You're not getting not any... aroma, but just flavor. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I would have thought you would get aroma because you're not really breaking things. You're boiling down. it all off. Oh, right. But it doesn't. Right. It's the things that will boil out the hydrocarbons. Yeah. If you, if you throw in them, throw them in early, they just pff, into the steam. Where when you put them in the mash, gives them times to oxidize. Yeah. By oxidizing, they they will actually dissolve. Okay. Into the wort, and then they won't boil off. Interesting. Ah. Okay. So it it will. It's a palate thing, and it will give you a nicer, softer kind of kind of bitterness to it and a flavor. But you can get it. Yes. Okay. And mostly, you're, you're going to see it in lighter beers like Pilsners. Would you get lighter beers like that? I don't think you're going to get a lot of difference. You know that subtle difference in, in a big IPA. Right. Now, Although, would you would you stir it in with your mash, or would you just sparge on top of your? I mash? would probably sparge on top of it. Okay. Interesting. I, re- I recirc almost the whole time anyway. Right. Okay. I occasionally mini-mash, not just extract, and I think the next time I do an IPA, when I'm actually intending to do an IPA, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna try it in my mini-mash, too. You should. You know, just you should do a full all-grain. Do you have to stir it around in there, or do you, are you just, it's just like doughing in, and then you let it sit? I let it mash for like 15 minutes or something, then I add them in my hops for the last 30, 45 minutes. 30 or 45 just minutes. put it on top, you know. Okay. Just get it wet. Let yeah. it be warm. How long are you letting it sit in there, Dr. Scott? I usually put it in with... When I first dough in, you do leave it in there, and for the whole time. Yep. Okay, okay. So Pliny the Elder is doing a one and a half ounces of Chinook in the mash, two point seven five ounces of Warrior, which is at fifteen six alpha acids for ninety minutes. Wow. Half an ounce of Columbus, uh, which is twelve point two, for ninety minutes. One ounce of Simcoe, another twelve, at forty five minutes. One ounce of Columbus. Up at 14.3 alpha acids for 30 minutes. Uh, two and a quarter centennial, which is, uh, this is his small one, <laughs> 9%, 9.1%. Uh, minutes. So that's his one minute guy right there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one ounce of Simcoe again, uh, zero minutes. One ounce of Columbus, dry hop for two weeks. Three quarter ounce centennial, dry hop for two weeks. One and a quarter Simcoe dry hop for two weeks. Wow. <laughs> Which is an awesome hop. I wonder oil. if it, his brew was one of those, like, you know, I've got all these hops left over in my freezer. Yeah. That's, that's, that that's how it was. started. Yeah. Well, you, you got to remember, this This beer is what starts out at 1073. Yeah. Uh, the amount of IBUs that you're calculating, that you're putting in there, does not necessarily mean what you're getting out in the finished beer. Right. Especially because uh, a lot of those. You've got a high alpha beer or high high gravity beer. It's not going to dissolve in as much. Uh, it's gonna be a pretty vigorous, uh, fermentation. You're gonna scrub some out that way. Yeah. So Over six and a half ounces of those right. are dry hop and, and is zero minutes. Right. So. So you're gonna get mostly the flavor compounds. What about his Columbus that goes in at 30 minutes? You're gonna get probably about, I think, 15 to 20% utilization on you that. You will. Yeah. Okay. Okay. His other ones are all 90, 90, and 45. Yeah, you're gonna get so. topped out at probably 30. Mm. 
So you got all that. He's also using California ale yeast. So uh, you can check that. Pretty out. common West Coast strain. Yeah, it's a nice clean. It doesn't give a lot of yeast flavors. I got Good. his malt bill too. I might as well give that away while I'm at it, right? <laughs> well, uh, you still have to brew it, so I mean, it's going to be different. His malt bill is eighty-five percent two row, two percent crystal forty-five, six percent carapils, and seven percent dextro sugar. So uh, that's corn sugar. There you go. B three also has their kit. So, oh, it's the Pliny kit, right yeah. from uh, yeah. there. Yeah. All right, there you go, Brian. If you want a, a little hoppy Pliny, so don't write all this down. Just order the kit. Yeah. You know what's interesting about the guy I was talking about, uh, the Australian who doesn't like hoppy beers and doesn't like dry hopping and all that. He had Pliny the Elder on tap at his at his bar. Yeah, that contradicts there. everything. Yeah. Douchebag. Well, no, he just says that it's gay for him to do it. Yeah, that's all. Everyone else could do it. It's fine. Yeah, it's a, it's a pain in the ass. Why do that? It's a pain <laughs> uh, okay. What else, guys? First word hopping. That's, Go for it. That's what mash hopping is. Same thing? Well, no, no. I put it in the boil kettle. To yeah. Have it set. It's the same thing. Basically. Is it the same thing? You, you know, it's a different one. You put it in the mash hops. Okay. Other when you put it in, in the boil kettle. Okay. When it's coming up. But they do the same exact thing? Just about, yeah. Okay. Did Another spot you can put some more hops in there. Okay. Which I'm always looking for. <laughs> Why not? And it does. It Basically, it steeps it before it boils it. Okay. So it gives it a chance to get some cool things that are, you're trying to dissolve stuff into the wort. Right. And rather than boil it off instantaneously. So if you can get it in there when it's, you know, at a little lower temperature, 170 or so, it's better than popping it in there at 212. Would you put it in raw, whole, or in a bag as a home brewer? It depends on what, what you're trying to do. Okay. I don't, I don't like fighting nice. to strain my beers to get them clean looking. Right. Or having things clog up. Other stuff, so I like hot bags. Okay. Do you still use hot bags with everything that you have on your system? Yeah. You have a diverter plate, right? Mm-hmm. You still, <laughs> still use hot bags. No way. Okay. <laughs> I don't like that sounds bags. like overkill, but wow. Hey, you saw my system. <laughs> I did. It, it, it's overkill. That's awesome. All right. One of these days, I'll, I'll post it on the forum what my system looks like. Be on the dose site. Yeah, we got to do that. Peterson's got that. Soon, one day. The, what's the Doze site? Clubdoze.com. Okay. It's our it's our club. The local homebrew and, club, right? And, and, su- and support your local homebrew club, too. Oh, yeah. And if anybody's out there listening from the local area, uh, we're going to have our, our monthly meeting, Doze meeting, at B3 tomorrow mm-hmm. night, 7 o'clock. And what are you guys going to talk about there tomorrow? A hop utilization. <laughs> <laughs> that it was just we were supposed to have it last month, and it turned out. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, uh, Rochelle was going to do it, but she was sick. So. That's a lot of hops in yeah. two days. Yeah, so we're going to do that. Uh, we uh, what the style is? I'm not sure. I'll have to check. Uh, we have a style talk, gadget, gadget month, a uh, few other things. You're bringing your artillery in? Uh, I haven't upgraded that yet. So okay. All right, we're going to wrap it up, kids. Okay. Uh, I do want to announce a couple festivals uh, that I, I found out about for you guys today. There's probably a lot more than this. I just I weeded through a few of them, being that it's uh, American Beer Month. Um, I thought I'd give you guys just a couple. Let's see. July 2nd, the ninth annual Colorado Brewers Rendezvous, which is in uh, Salida, Colorado. Uh, there's going to be 34 Colorado breweries there, plus a few from New Mexico. It's 20 bucks. It's at the Salida Town Park. So uh, 20 bucks gets you a collectible pills glass, uh, 12 tickets for tasting, which are four-ounce samples. 
they could have done a little better than that. And uh, <laughs> you can, uh, how many ounces again? Uh, four ounces. Four ounces. Wow, it's a sip. Yeah, it is a sip. It's a little tiny, tiny That's sip. A, it's horrible. It's but not you beer get t- drinking, but you get twelve of them. Twelve sips. So. <laughs> That's what, four, three beers? You get a glass, too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So there you go, 20 bucks. It's 1 to 5 p.m. in Salida, Colorado. You can go to coloradobeer.org to check that out. July 9th, the Barrington Microbrew Fest in Barrington, Illinois. I know we got some listeners and some, uh, some forum posters from Illinois. 35 beers from 16 Midwest brewers there. Admission includes a glass, lunch, T-shirt. T-shirt only goes to the first 500 people. So get there early. Live music, brew tastings. It's at the downtown Barrington in the 4th of July Brat Tent. Hours are 1 to 5.30. 30 dollars in advance gets your ticket. 35 the day of the event. You can go, uh, let's see, email. Oh, it's too long of an email. Call 847-382-6136 for information. July 23rd here in, not here, but in California, Santa Barbara, California. The Santa Barbara Beer Festival and Motor Classic. Which is an awesome combination. You get to see cars and drink beer. It's a car show and beer festival combined in a 230-acre park. But you can't touch the cars. Don't touch the cars, just the beer. Located in beautiful Santa Barbara, 25 beers will be featured. Its location is Ellings Park. Uh, you can go to... Uh, it's 20 bucks to get in there. It's from 12 to 4 p.m. And I say July 23rd for that one. And 805-569... 5611. And then, of course, John, talk to me. The Oregon (laughs) Brewers Festival, July 28th through the 31st. OBF. You sissy, sissy boy. Sissy, sissy, sissy. Johnny was supposed to be going to that with me, too. Although, if he goes, he has to work it. And if I go, I sort of work and sort of drink. You get to go talk to everybody, talk to the brewers. I get to talk to them. uh, hopefully get some support and I'll some be sponsorship. Por- I'll be in Portland the week after that. What oh, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? I didn't know about the festival. You didn't? I would have worked it around that. Is what it a family doing? vacation yes, you're doing up? No, nah, see. You would have been we in trouble forward. if you did it the yeah, week of anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Mommy? The amusement park's over there, Dad's and I'll be over here. I'll <laughs> be back in five, six hours. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You won't want to talk to Daddy when he's back, though. <laughs> you're going to want to let Daddy sleep. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Ah, uh, well, I'm going to it. So Good. if any of you listeners are out there, look for me. I'll be wearing the Brewing Network t-shirt. And the button. Which uh, I don't have yet. And the button. Get the button. But I'm hoping to get it. And, uh, and that'll be me. So you can find me there. But you won't find John, because as I said, he's a sissy. Sissy, <laughs> sissy, sissy. And he's going to stay at work instead. But uh, July 28th through the 31st is what I'm talking about, the Oregon Brewers Festival, which is just, it's... Uh, uh, arguably the biggest and best brew festival in the country. It's, uh, it's if, huge. if you like beer. If, yeah, if, if you if like you that like. sort of thing. <laughs> it's the 18th annual Oregon Brew Festival, by the way. Um, let's see. What There's a lot of good beer up this? there. So are you, if you were three uh, when it started, you can go. You can go now. Each summer, the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, it says, welcomes 50,000 beer lovers to the four-day festival. And uh, if anybody goes, go to Horse Brass Pub. Yeah? Yes. Okay. Best draft beer up there. Is that right? Awesome. Horse brass. Imported stuff. I'll tell you what. I went to a strip club there who had an awesome, 
awesome lineup of beers. Now, this is the beautiful thing about That's what the, I'd be looking about, for in a strip club. <laughs> <laughs> the awesome lineup. Well, of you, you got time. I, I spent a, a couple hours there, so I had time to look at both. <laughs> Let me tell you, this is a beautiful thing about Portland. Uh, Oregon. How, how many $1 beers did it take to buy? Or how many $1 bills did it take to buy a beer? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember how many of the beers on tap I tried either. What I do remember is lots of good-looking women. Um, yeah, but this is, this is the after awesome how thing many beers about Portland. <laughs> no, no, I'm, trust me. Listen to this. So, Portland is probably mm, heaven on earth for 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 the beer lover and right. and and male and the flannel and lover. male in general and the flannel lover too. But here's the deal with Portland. For one, it's the craft brew mecca. Of 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 the right. Pacific Northwest for one, and just great beers. So pretty much any bar you go into, nothing but good beer on tap. It, it, any any bar there that put you know more than a than just one domestic regular beer there would go out of business within 24 hours. You just can't do it in Portland. The other thing is, it's apparently like a stripper magnet, that place, because some of the best-looking strippers I've ever seen in my life work in Portland, Oregon, and, and, and in, in dive little places. So the place is ugly and smelly, but it's got 50 great beers on tap, and I'm not exaggerating about the 50. Wow. And then, Fitty. And then, yeah. And then beautiful women that just don't belong in strip clubs kind of thing. So I'm just saying, not that Portland paid me any money to say this or anything, they paid me well enough in good beer and strippers to say, if you're going to take a little a vacation, memory. go to Portland. Don't take the kids, but go to Portland because it's really a good place to go. Honey, uh, I go to Portland for a couple of days. <laughs> what do you have to do there? Um. Business. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, a Portland dentist convention? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. An, an oral convention. <laughs> Don't you know that there's lots of dental innovations going on in Portland? Exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, there you, you go. Go to Portland. Beer and strippers. In the meantime, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play Vinny. this Vinny thing for you. Vinny. Although i got to find it. As soon as I find and, it. I'm and he will be it. here August 14th. I believe that's the Sunday. Is that the date? Right. Okay, August 14th. This guy who's about to talk to you, if you didn't listen to the beginning of the show, uh, John saw him at the uh, American Homebrewers competition. And uh, he gave a lecture about dry hopping, and he talks a lot about his Pliny the Elder and good ways to dry hop, bad ways to dry hop. He talks about hop backing, uh, talks about hop efficiency. He's going to give you some good information. It's a recording that was done in a hall, so uh, you can definitely hear what's going on. There's a little background noise, so hang in there. If you can't hang for the whole discussion, don't worry about it. We're putting it up as an archive, uh, which brings me to the point to let you guys know we're not ignoring you. Website is supposed to be up uh, next week actually first week of july good news uh you got good news for me have you heard good news Uh, are you yeah no we're hoping i saw it looks good what you saw it i did i didn't see it i had the end (laughs) oh man okay well that's a good sign so it might actually be up in the first week of july then Okay, and what we're doing is is we're getting that site up for you to give you the archive pages, which I'm... I'm Priority one. uh, It is priority one for us, because I know you can't always listen. So all of the past shows, there's going to be four shows available for download there. I'm working on getting them podcast available, too. Um, We're going to put this lecture we're about to play for you guys on there. You're going to be able to download that and listen to it, as well as... How many other lectures did you get? One other one from there, too? One on farmhouse sales. Okay, one other lecture that'll be up there for uh, uh, download also. So we're hoping by next week, guys. Uh, you know, our, our webmaster was injured, and uh, we had to make some compromises, and we're making it happen. Yes. So no, we didn't cut himself on a no. carboy. And next no. week we have 
Next week, we're looking at Jamil. What's his last name? Zanishef. Zanishef. I was going to say Zanaskowski or something. Zanishef? Zanishef? Zanishef. Jamil is one of the most award-winning homebrewers from the West Coast. Uh, How many times has he won? Oh, ever? Is that right? How many times has he won Homebrewer of the Year? Twice? Well, he got Ninkasi last year, 2004, so. Okay. Largest you can do in the nation, so. Ninkasi. Plus, he's been Homebrew of the Year. Plus, he wins competition after competition. He's on the governing committee, too. Brewers Association. He wrote two articles in the last Zymergy. Is he cocky? No. Not at all. Humble as you can be. He's so cool. Really? Yeah. 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 All right, good. Then we'll all get along just fine next week. All right, so Jamil's coming in. He'll drink your beer with a smile. He will. And he's going to bring beer and he's going to sweep up our studio for us. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said in his email. All right. He's going to sweep up for us. So. Okay. Well, I got a vacuum always, ready, too. So have your questions speed. ready for him. And he, he's a competition guru. Guru. Okay. And if you got any any kind of questions about what do I need to enter competitions or win competition, what should I be looking for, little things to give me a couple extra points, yep. those are the questions you want to ask him. Okay. So is it a competition talk or what, what should we it's an anything talk. He knows a lot about beer. So. Yeah, I have a feeling there's going to be a good, lot of questions He's good on styles, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would, style. All right. The next week is going to be the style show. Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, different we, styles. We try of surprising beer. him too. That's we'll great. Like styles. Yeah. Stump, stump Jamil. Stump, stump Jamil. The stump Jamil show. All right. Then that's next week contest. Yes. If you make, can stump Jamil, you get the the prize. Yes. All right. That's Which good. Is Dr. Scott's homebrew system. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what? A 2050 like B3 sculpture. How many gallons Decked out again? Two 20 gallons, trailers, right? all, all silicone, hard line, two pumps, eight ball valves, oh, yeah. two conical fermenters externally cooled. HEPA filter. I'm getting excited in more ways <laughs> than one. <laughs> just want to tell you that. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Uh, I'm going to just play a tune real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out is with- the beer uh, song? I'm going to play you guys the beer yes. song. Uh uh, I'm going to play this while I'm setting up uh, the, the lecture. So hang in. Uh, this song, though, is, uh, hey, it's just as good as a lecture and, and the rest of the show, if you ask me. This was by one of our listeners. What's his name? Uh, I don't know. I forgot. Dude. Tell him to email you. He didn't really care about the whole thing. I actually asked if I could get him on here and, yeah. and, and do a phone interview, and he's like, well, I'm busy. I guess <laughs> if, you know, He's like, I guess if people really like it, I can try to do it. So if you guys, uh, we played it only once. I played it the second week of the show, and, and people who heard it loved it. It's an awesome song. It gets stuck in your head. Uh, me and my friends, that uh, we went up the coast to the brewery and everything the other day. We were singing it like the whole way. We only knew like the chorus. We couldn't remember the rest of it, but we just sang it over and over again. It really sticks in your head. It's an awesome homebrew song. It's all about homebrew. So we're going to end the show with that. And I think we should make it a tradition to end the show. Yes, I think yeah. 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 I forgot to do it last week. I don't know what was wrong cha, with me. Cha, cha. Yeah. Little banjo. <laughs> I'll bring banjo. Yeah. Okay. So Let's next week we got Jamil coming in here. You don't want to miss that. Hopefully next week our full website's going to be up, which will be about 80% of the features that we're trying to give you because we're still working on some other things that you don't need right now, but that you're going to love later. They need the archives. You need the archives and we're getting those up there. And we're also trying to fix that chat room. We know it's a pain in the behind to get in there and we're, we're we're trying to fix that too hopefully when that site's up everything's much smoother for you guys and, uh, and then smoother for us all right so keep drinking keep brewing and we'll see you next week right yes good show john dr Thank scott thanks right. again Woo-hoo. hey andy love being here you did a marvelous job on the Cheers website start. i have thanks a question here buddy. i forgot about Oh, it's no question. Thanks, oh, people Andy. were asking for the homebrew song. Awesome. All right, this is the homebrew song. Right after that is going to be the uh, speech uh, by Vinny, and it's all about dry hopping and yeah. hopping and hop, hop, hop.
Oh, you're the hip hop live guy. from National <laughs> Brewers Conference. <laughs> good night, everybody. We'll see you next week. Hey, Layla's a friend of mine, and I sure like good barley wine. Chocolate porter, cherry stout. Don't you know what I am talking about? Don't you give me that American crude? Boy, the one a real homebrew. Homebrew, don't you really love it? Homebrew, can't get enough of it. Homebrew, it blows my mind. I love homebrew all the time. Yeah, I think I have me. Well, I have the one right now. Justin, and we're the Brewcasters on the Brewing Network. All right, welcome back. You're still listening to the Brewing Network, and right now we're about to play you a lecture given by Vinny Chalurzo at the NHC in Baltimore this year. Vinny's been a professional brewer since 1994 when he opened the Blind Pig Brewing Company in California, and he later uh, sold that brewery and began working for Russian River. 
Now him and his wife uh, actually own Russian River Brewing Company. So he mostly focuses on Belgian ales and extremely hoppy IPAs like Pliny the Elder, and you're going to hear a lot about that. So right now he's going to give you all sorts of information about hopping and dry hopping and hop efficiency and hop backs and mostly how he uses them in, in, in his history and at his brewery now. So it's a great lecture, lots of information. It lasts about an hour, and it's really good stuff. So Vinny Chalurzo from the Russian River Brewing Company. It's a live recording from the NHC this year. Enjoy. Thank you. So, um... There's a lot of people here. This is going to be kind of hectic getting beer, but we brought four different dry hop versions of uh, Pliny the Elder, our double IPA. So getting the beer to you is going to be the difficulty. We certainly don't have enough. I never anticipated this many people to uh, to be in the room, but uh, we'll, so we'll get to uh, we'll get to the first beer here in a minute. Um, I I got in uh, I got in yesterday and uh, I had to mark all the cups, so I did that all afternoon. Finally. Uh, uh, Sam Calgione from Dogfish had got in, and he and I had planned to pal around last night. So uh, we were talking, just kind of laughing, uh, at the Craft Brewers Conference in Philadelphia just about a month ago. He was on a panel in a room much like this, uh, sitting up there with like three or four other brewers, maybe on distribution or whatever. And uh, one of the owners of Elysian Brewery, Dave Bueller, puts his hand up and goes, um, yeah, Vinny, I, and Sam cuts him off and goes, no, 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 that's the West Coast Italian brewery. So, so then about a week ago, just just last week, I was doing an interview for a, um, there's a uh, radio show in Texas, uh, I think it was 980, with a guy that sells kegs to us uh, in the industry. And uh, Eric goes to, he calls me Sam, and I go, well, no, that's the East Coast Italian brewery. So, so Sam and I were joking about that last night, and you know, when you take, um, a, a speech class in college or whatever, they always tell you you should like start with a joke to, to break the ice. So when I was putting the finishing touches on the talk this morning, I was thinking of a joke I could, you know, that was beer related. And so I, I came up with um, if the East Coast Italian brewer, Sam Calgioni, and the West Coast Italian brewer, myself, were both to give this dry hop presentation at the AHA conference this year in Baltimore, what would the difference of the presentation be? And I came up with, mine would uh, tell you how to actually put more aroma into your beer during the actual brewing process. Sam would pull out his new Fandango yuppie inline dry hopping device, <laughs> non-dry hopping device called the Randall, try to tell you how to, try to tell you or teach you how to add the hops after the fact. So, uh, <laughs> that's my little jab on Sam that I always like to get in, especially since he's not here. So, uh, you walk away with only one thing. Remember, no Randall required in this presentation. <laughs> so. Anyways, um, the first beer that we are going to taste, so if you, um, let's do this like in uh, when you're in high school and you have to get up in sessions and sections, so let's try to get this section up first, So and just go back and grab a, uh, a cup, a number one cup, and uh, try to, it's going to reverse, so let's see, one, two, I don't know, but uh, while they're, while they're grabbing the beer, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, about how I got started in uh, dry hopping, the first double IPAs that I had been brewing, 
back at uh, Blind Pig, my first brewery, we uh, we came up with a uh, a beer. It was the first beer we ever brewed, and we did it in such a way uh, that we added twice the hops. And we wanted to do that uh, to try to to test this new equipment out. This equipment had, well, we weren't sure, it probably had flaws, and uh, so we decided to add more hops to give it the whole, the value of, oh, well, if you add more hops, it's going to, uh, more than anything, we're just trying to cover up any off flavors that might have been there. And that, in turn, ended up being the, the first double IPA, and I'm sort of credited as making the, the first double IPA. And uh, so that was in uh, in 94 at, uh, at Blind Pig. From uh, from there, we, we continued to make them, but uh, I moved on to uh, Russian River Brewing Company, where I am now, and back then, uh, it was started by a uh, big sparkling wine house in uh, California called Corbell, and Corbell is the largest uh, sparkling wine producer in America. They do something like a million and a half cases of sparkling wine, half a million cases of brandy. I've never been in a facility. It, it looked to me more like a Texaco refinery than a, a winery. I mean, these tanks were like, there was this one tank that was half a million gallons, and we went inside one day and uh, kicked the soccer ball around. Uh, it was so big. So it was a, I was I was the smallest part of their operation running their brewery, and we did it for six years. And in that six years, we created this beer, Pliny the Elder. <clears throat> and if any of you were in Vegas last year, you, you probably heard this part of the story before, where... My wife uh, and I at the time were really, we're trying, okay, we're going to make this double IPA at the brewery, but we got to give it a name that is almost larger than the beer itself, or at least the name's going to personify, it's going to take on a life of its own. And uh, so the Brewers Association sells that beer dictionary, it's probably the best dictionary you can get, and it's got, you know, every beer term in it with a definition. And so we, we were, first we were thinking, before we even got that, first we were thinking about, uh, Large words like gargantuan or mammoth or something like that, but those, those just didn't have any personality or charm to it. Then we started thinking about large uh, format wine bottles. Why don't, why don't the middle section get up now and grab their beer? And uh, thinking like Nebuchadnezzar, Jeroboam, and those were kind of cool names. But now they started looking up uh, hops, and then hops referred to uh, Humulus lupulus, the current botanical name. That referred to Lupus salicarius, the original botanical name. And in that definition, it talked about Pliny the Elder, who came up with that, with his contemporaries, that botanical name for hops, Lupus salicarius. So we 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 coined the beer Pliny the Elder, and uh, and that's kind of history now, and it's it's really taken on a life of its own, just as we expected. So that kind of gives you an idea of how I got here. Um, I've always been into hoppy beers and Belgian beers. Those are my, my it's what we do at our, at our brewery. We make a lot of uh, dry hop beers. We make a lot of Belgian beers. Uh, the, the title of my talk in the uh, presentation guide was Dry Hopping, Quantity, Time, Temperature, and, and Mixing. So I'm just going to go through that stuff. Um, very informal. I'm a real, I'm more of a nuts and bolts kind of brewer, hands-on, than a scientific brewer. The beers we're tasting today um, are just a, a snapshot of me pulling samples out of a tank uh, at the certain time. We add our findings to it. We transferred the beer off the findings, carbonated it, um, very rough and crude. I think we had them in Cornelius kegs, snapped the uh, outlet corny fitting on the outlet, put the head the keg in our cold box for 24 hours with it connected. So, you know, one of them... I think I forgot it, and it got a little more carbonation. One's probably under, so it's not its not really uh, you know, super, super sharp on the CO2 levels. But more what I'm trying to get across is how a beer will progress 
and then I want to talk about some of the things that we do and what other brewers are doing as well um, in the industry. So the first of the uh, handouts is the one that actually has the title on it, Dry Hopping, Quantity Time Temperature Mixing. The uh, second handout was actually my handout from last year in Vegas where I actually gave out the homebrewed version recipe of Pliny the Elder. I just thought I'd throw that in um, because I was assuming that there's probably a lot of people here that didn't make it to Vegas because of the geographical differences there in distance. Uh, so let's let's start with varieties. And on the main sheet, we've got I've got a list of popular American dry hop varieties. This is more geared towards professional brewers. Uh, my good friend Matt Reynoldson at Firestone Walker Brewery in uh, Paso Robles, which is in Central California, actually combined these for his talk at the Craft Brewers Conference. And um, a couple of those are my contributions. Um, Columbus, the, the dank. I, I feel like that's that was my contribution. And the uh, Simcoe and the Amarillos were also, uh, and oh, and also the tricks. When I use a lot of Centennial, it, it, it tends to like smell like trick cereal. So I'm proud of those ones, those particular. Uh, and, and Dink works really well in, in Northern California. So most most people in California get that. Um, I, I'm not going to read them to you, but that, that's just those are descriptions that brewers gave. This isn't from Hop Union or Yakima Chief. This is what, what brewers are saying, like, oh, I think Columbus smells like onion or garlic. And um, and to me, the real key, one of the real keys to dry hopping isn't just sticking with one variety. It, it's blending. And these are, ended up being Matt and mine favorite varieties. Uh, but I, I, I do want to thank Matt for all, although he's not here to hear this, for all the contributions he made, because uh, I was able to use a lot of information off his presentation. As, as quantity goes, what you're going to taste today is half an equivalent on a homebrew scale, half an ounce of hops per gallon of, of beer, which, you know, nowadays, I mean, that was a lot when I started homebrewing. Nowadays, there's brewers going um, two pounds per barrel, which is equivalent to an ounce per gallon on a, on a homebrew uh, level. And, and so we're going to talk, uh, talk a little bit about going the other way by almost less is more um, in, in dry hopping. And, and so going with those quantities, I, I heard someone say, I just overheard someone go, oh, half an ounce per gallon, that's a lot. And um, it, in our world, that's what Pliny the Elder is. It's, it's a mass amount of, of dry hops. But one of the things that we've done recently and, and I think this is a, this is something that that can easily be done on a homebrew level, and in the end, I think you end up getting a much better and richer and more crisp and long-lasting aroma. And that's to to instead of do one, say one week or two week dry hop uh, process, do shorter with smaller quantities uh, dry hops, and then add do do two or three or four dry hops. Uh, we do this on. We, aside from Pliny the Elder, which we call a double IPA, we make a triple IPA that we call Pliny the Younger, and uh, it's 11% alcohol. Uh, the Elder is double the hops of our regular IPA. The Younger is triple the hops of our uh, of our regular IPA, and that's triple everywhere: bitter, flavor, finish. But on the dry hop, we went a totally different route, and I find that the aroma is is the best hop aroma I've ever I've ever gotten. And what we do is we, we go at about a quarter pound per barrel instead of half a pound per barrel. So, you know, on a homebrew equivalent, it's still a lot at a quarter ounces per gallon. But 
you know, that's still the key to getting a lot of aromas to use a, is a fair amount of hop. But what we're doing is we're going a week with the first dry hop, and then we're adding a second dry hop. And then a week later, we had a third dry hop, and then a fourth, so on. So it's a four, there's four dry hops over a four-week period, but it's a much smaller dry hop. And what, what we're really doing is adding fresh hops in so that you're getting a new charge of hop oils to give your beer a, uh, you know, a, a different aroma and a, and a stronger aroma. And we're really, we're, we're taking different varieties and mixing them. So the first dry hop may be a mix of Amarillo and Simcoe. The second may be uh, Simcoe Columbus. The third may be, you know, Amarillo, Centennial, so on and so forth. So I can't remember what it is uh, off the top of my head. But that's one, uh, that, that's one approach you can take um, that probably isn't being done a whole lot. It's, it's just starting to be done on the commercial level right now. It's this whole idea of multiple dry hops instead of just going one dry hop for a week or two. When do you take them out? Yeah, do you take them out the, the question was, uh, when do we take them out, if any? If we're, if we're brewing a full-scale batch of it, I've got a little small half fermenter that um, has a dome bottom, so I don't have a cone. It's, it's not a, a traditional uni tank. When I, I like to brew this on the younger. I like to brew it on a, a conical tank so that we can pull the hops because they, they settle into the cone. When I'm using my dome bottom tank, I can't do that because they're over a wider area. So the, the answer is I've done it both ways, but I actually like getting the hops out and getting the fresh hops in. Where do you take them out, uh, usually after it's a week. It's a week with the first dry hop, another week. So it's a four-week total dry hop period on the younger, which is our, our triple IPA. Someone someone called me a uh, on the, you know the website Rate Beer. They quote they said I was retarded for uh, calling it triple IPA. So my friend. My friend Tommy Arthur from Pizza Port goes, uh, well, what did he call you 10 years ago when you came up with a double IPA? So, <laughs> but I thought that was funny. So, um, so that kind of leads into time. That question was, um, what was, was time. And uh, the, the whole idea about adding multiple dry hops, you know, that's, that's one of the, and you'll probably hear me reference Dr. Shed a lot in the hour talk here because they're one of the brewers on the East Coast that are getting big hop aroma into their beers, and they're doing that. They're adding multiple uh, dry hops into their beers. I can't remember one of them. They're doing it for, for you know, several weeks on end. So, um, but that's, so, you know, there, there's there's a brewery that's, that's doing it successfully, and uh, their beers always show a really big hop aroma. You do strictly uh, whole hop or pellet? Do you notice any difference if you tried both? Yeah, the, the question was, uh, do we use whole or uh, whole and flower hops? or if we use pellets, and we, we do a combination of both, and we'll usually do the, uh, the flower hop additions for the dry hops towards the end of the dry hop process. We have equipped in all of our serving tanks, and our pub is we're a, a brew pub slash production brewery. In all of our tanks, I had, the only things I had built new, because I couldn't find any used. I'm, I'm cheap like that. I try to buy everything used, but, uh, but I had these little handles built on the inside to tie my dry hop bags off to. So, I, so all so our beers can potentially be dry hopped on the server, and we do that with the younger. So basically, the longer the beer sits in the server, so closer to the end of the tank, there's more dry hop in it. So, do you ever have problems with grassy? <laughs> yeah, the question was about grassiness. Um, we don't. No, I've I've never had grassy come up. 
although the hops we choose, like the hops in Planet of the Elder, is uh, it's, we use a lot of Simcoe, and that's got a big pine character, so I always get comments that our beers are very piney, um, but we don't get a lot of grassy character. So, so um, if you want, maybe uh, one of the sections, I guess since you started, you guys should be the next. Uh, if you want to go grab the, uh, you guys grab the number ones, right? No, we got two. Okay. So we so let's let's just keep rotating through. Um, okay, yeah. Well, just however it gets passed out. There's more here to drink than anything. So, uh, but um, the one the one question about whole and flower hops and pellets, and and, and I'm sure I'm not telling you you don't know, but the you know when you use whole leaf hops or flowers. It's never, you know, it's funny how they, they call them leaf hops. Because if I, I grow hops as well, I have a hop yard. And you, you always try to get the leaves out. You want to get the leaves out. So leaf is like the worst thing you should say. So I always try to say flowers. But the, the, the flower hops is a non-ruptured uh, lupulin gland. And so it's a slower release of, uh, you know, of the oils and the, and the acids um, when you're brewing with them. Whereas the pellets, through the, the hammer mill that they're getting put through, the, the pellets get, the, the lupulin glands get ruptured. It's a quicker release. Uh, I find that the flowers are more soft and a little more well-rounded, where, you know, the, the pellets are a little more upfront and a little uh, more direct. And I, I actually like a combination of both, that you can get, um, you can get a, a little bit of uh, great flavor profile out of both. Time, that's really what this experiment was about, was saying that you can taste five, you know, no dry hop, five day, nine day, and 12 day. We used to dry hop this beer for 14 days, and we we found that there was no difference between 12 days and 14 days. And to a home brewer, two days, that's not a big deal, but to me as a professional brewer, two days is a really big deal. Because over the course of a year, we brew so many batches of, of Pliny the Elder, and you know any any brewer that says, "Oh, well, you know, our brewer never looks at the financials of it," they're full of shit. Because at the end of the day, we're we're in business to at least break even and hopefully make a little bit of money. So so when you know when we looked at it, so gosh, you know, we can we brew so many batches of Pliny a year. We shave two days off. That can afford us so many more batches of beer just because it opens the fermenters up. You know, every fermentation gives up two days. It's a 24-day process. Multiply it out, so on and so forth. Um, and I also, I also find that you can over-dry hop. You know, there sometimes less is more, and a five or seven-day dry hop, you're gonna, you're gonna see more, you know, aromatics. And that's, that's one thing that even the experts can't explain. Um, I, I talked about Matt Brennelson earlier from Firestone Walker Brewery who helped put together the list of hops. They don't dry hop anything more than five days. And his beers have the most beautiful, rich hop aroma, um, you know, and, and they're, they're just wonderful beers. And he's only dry hopping for five days. That's his max, where that's my minimum. That's why the experiment started at, at, at five days. So there, there's something to be said about about the, the progression of dry hopping and that you, you can potentially, you know, have a beer that is better at seven days instead of ten days. And it's probably where a homebrew club can really uh, move forward and, and really do a great experiment 
and, and show the clubs and do a tasting like this and maybe there's not this many people so it's a little easier maybe you could, you could, you could lay all four glasses out in, in front of in front of you I had this vision like everyone would have four glasses in front of them and be able to taste it you're listening to the brewing network what we have in progress here is a lecture given by Vinny Chalurzo at the NHC this year in Baltimore. He's from Russian River Brewing Company, and he's talking all about hops. So let's get you back to it. So uh, anyways, uh, there's a question in the back. The comment in question was um, to confirm that the smaller charges of hops multiple times was giving us, or what was it giving us? It was giving us an actual bigger hop aroma and a more longer-lasting hop aroma and more of an aroma that was, wow, it's like sticking your head in a hop bag and smelling like fresh hops. To me, that's the ultimate, well, it's one of two compliments. You're like, in our area... If, if your beer ends up smelling like Mother Nature, then you know that... When I say Mother Nature, I mean an illegal... <laughs> that's the other ultimate compliment. When someone goes, wow, because some hops have that. Have the, that that's where dank comes in. That's where the, the dank part comes in. So, there's... But the other one is, yeah, wow, this just smells like you're sticking in your head in a fresh bag of hops. And... And, and so, yeah, we do find that the, the shorter charges are doing, and, and we've experimented with, on Pliny the Elder, where we've, we've taken uh, the dry hops and cut them in half and done a five-day dry hop and then a, uh, you know, another dry hop at 10 days and then pulled the hops at 12 days. So, the, the next uh, point is temperature. And as, did you have a question? Could I ask one thing on the time? When, when does the dry hopping start? I mean, between, between the time it goes to the fermenter, is there any conditioning time before you start the dry yeah, Why don't I just run through real quick on what Russian River's dry hop program is, <clears> or <throat> at least the basics of it for our IPA or ESB or double IPA. We, we finish, we ferment with uh, White Labs California Ale Yeast, uh, or at least for all of our non-Belgian beers. We, most of our fermentations are six, seven days. When fermentation is done, we seal the tank up, meaning that we close the side valve where the, where the blow-off tube was, our equivalent to our fermentation lock. We let it sit for 24 hours to, quote-unquote, to acid will rest. More than anything, it just makes sure that the last bit of sugar is, is fermented out. We then drop the temperature, um, and this is where it can get tricky for home brewers. We drop the temperature to 52 degrees uh, Fahrenheit for two days. We then pull the yeast out, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into uh, the whole idea of how yeast and dry hopping, there's actually a direct correlation in getting more aroma on my next point. Um, but uh, So once we've, we pull yeast out, it's now two days at 52 degrees, so it's a seven or eight day fermentation, a one-day rest, still at 68 at, uh, with the tank seal, two days at 52 degrees, and at this point we pull the yeast out, or as much yeast that's fallen into the cone, and we recycle our yeast from batch to batch. We then dry hop at that point, 
and we shut the glycol off for our refrigeration. We shut it off. So during the summer, it can get it can roll back from 52. It can go all the way back up to close to 70 degrees on Pliny the Elder because it's a 12-day dry hop. And you know, in Sonoma County, where we're at, average temperature during the summer is 90, 95 degrees. Uh, there's no cooling in the breweries, so uh, it's just ambient temperature. And then we have the you know hot water tank going. The, the uh, you know kettle we're brewing three four days a week, so we're just generating heat. Uh, so we're we're dry hopping pretty warm, and that was my that was actually a great question for timing because uh, that's my next kind of point is is temperature, and uh, what we're looking at uh, at this point is if it's no matter what the dry hop putting planning the younger aside, which is its own special dry hop program for our ESB or IPA for dry hopping a pale ale double IPA, it's always the same. You know the amount of times kept or held at what we call warm temperatures. Uh, will vary. Our IPA is, is six days warm, Pliny the Elder is ten days. But regardless of what it is, two days before we want to transfer it and get it off the hops, we'll drop the temperature, crash it to 32 degrees. And we do that mainly to get the hops to fall out because we don't filter most of our most of our beers. Almost all of our beers are unfiltered. We find them with gelatin and we leave everything in in the beer in the end. So then at that point all the hops are in the bottom of the tank. It's our IPA. We're on day eight now. It's the Elder, it's uh, it's day twelve. Uh, if it's the ESB, I think it's day eight. Uh, and then we transfer it, gelatin it. After day on gelatin, uh, we transfer it off the gelatin, carbonate, and it's done. So, so that's our basic. That's the Russian River dry hop uh, kind of run through of what we do. And that's something that I developed years ago at Blind Pig, and I've just little by little honed it in temperature where where I know the California ale yeast will fall. We found that the, the California ale yeast won't fall much warmer than 52 degrees, so we chose 52 just for that for that reason. So other yeasts, you know, some English yeast will fall much warmer. So, but we based it on our yeast that we use. And I've been using the same yeast. I've never used a different yeast for our non-Belgian beers. I've used the California ale yeast since day one at, at, uh, at Blind Pig. So I've, I've, I've fermented something like 4,000, 5,000 batches of beer just with that yeast alone. So I know it really well. But the, the idea of... I'm sorry, come on. When you add gelatin, the one you find it? We, we, uh, we, the question was about our gelatin and our vining. Uh, after the beer is done dry hopping, or if it's a non-dry hop beer, um, it'll, uh, if it's a non-dry hop beer, it gets a week chilled, and then we, uh, we add gelatin to a, to a separate tank. We transfer the beer. In the case of our hoppy beers, our hoppy beers are only staying, or are only, you know, aged or conditioned at a low temperature for two days. So, so it's, so after the dry hop is done, we transfer the beer to a second tank and add the uh, gelatin. And in a lot of cases, we'll carbonate with the gelatin in and then it'll settle and then we'll just keg off the uh, gelatin. I find that interesting because someone told me that gelatin tends to remove a lot of your hospital flavor. Yeah, not, not so much. I mean, maybe, maybe it's, it's, I mean, that's the, the beauty of this industry is everyone's processing different, can affect it differently. But um, you know, any 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 sort of yeast removal, any technique filtration, it's all gonna strip something. And so maybe we don't see it because we go so far over the edge. And that could be the reason too. <laughs> so, 
you know, when someone goes, oh my God, you're you're using what did I say, half an ounce per gallon in our own, you know, in our beer, maybe that's why. So, so question in the back. You know, we the, the question was again about the younger, where we do multiple uh, dry hops. Uh, we I like to make that beer in a conical tank, so I pull the. Um, I, I try to pull it. That that's just for that beer, but for our other beers. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. No, you know, if, if our if our dry hop beers have a haze, I sat on this panel at the Craft Brewers Conference, and all the hop questions got thrown at me, and and like I never experienced any of the things that they had said because in in California, if your beer is hazy. If you make an IPA in California and your beer isn't hazy, it's almost looked like you're a wussy brewery, you know? <laughs> you can't. It's like, that beer should have haze. And, and our, I mean, our, our regular customers are pretty beer savvy. They're, they're like homebrewers, even though they're not all homebrewers. But they, they look at it and go, God, you know. Well, I, had, I had one guy recently go to me, uh, yeah, when you were, uh, when you started out here, you know, last, it was in April, and he's telling me this. This was only like two weeks ago. He goes, Plenty of the Elder was a lot clearer. You were filtering it then, weren't you? It wasn't like that back at Corbell. I was like, Jesus, these people are like, everything. So, but, um, but, but I want to move into temperature. Um, that's temperature, dry hopping warm is something really new to the craft beer, at least from the perspective that I get talking to, to brewers. Um, the, the whole thing with the double IPA really... Uh, got big about three years ago, and, and to be honest with you, from a business standpoint, it it really saved us because we got a lot of press on our brewery, even though we weren't open because we were in construction. And it started with um, I think Stan Hieronymus wrote the first article in All About Beer, and then after that, there was something in Southwest Brew News, and then um, and then. Uh, there's something in Zymergy, and, and Jim did something in Zymergy and New Brewer, and it was great because we were getting our name out all over the place, and even though our brewery wasn't in existence, we were under construction, but at, at least it kept our name in the, uh, in you know, out and on the street. But but on the more technical articles that were written, the one thing that that I talked a lot about that seemed so common to me was dry hopping warm. And at the time, a lot of brewers were dry hopping cold, and they would do it in a conditioning tank in a cold box or, or whatever. And and really, the the best way, and it makes sense, to get hop aroma is to dry hop warm. And and by by doing this, you know, you're releasing your oils. Um, I mean, dry hopping is already hard enough to get your oils bound in, and doing it cold makes it even harder. So, so, so. When I when I say warm, fifty two to seventy two, you know, depending on what your environment is, you know, it's just yeah, it's ambient temperature in my yeah, in our world. When I say warm, I mean ambient temperature. The, the question was uh, after we're done dry hopping, what do we crash? The temperature too. It's 32 degrees Fahrenheit. 
And, you know, that's the, that's the one thing where it's, it's easy for me to stand up here and give temperatures and, and nail them because we have, you know, controllers that do this stuff. And I know some homebrewers here probably have that. And if you have a refrigerator, it's great. You can throw it in. But, you know, brewing in general, whether you're home brewing, it's just adapting to your environment. You know, you, your, your cycle and your style of brewing may be affected by the equipment that you have. And it's never a perfect, you know, world. When I, I have this, this great tank that's as wide as it is tall, so we call it our one-by-one. It makes the absolute best Belgian beers because it more mimics, uh, you know, a wider, shallow tank like some of the Belgian brewers do. But we make so much damnation now, our, our strong gold nail, that it has to be made in one of our tall uh, cylindroconical tanks, double fermenter. We had to we had to adjust the whole recipe. So in a perfect world, I would have a million of these little small one-by-one tanks, but we don't. So damnation has sort of changed and adapted to the new tank, and that's you know that's what brewing is. And um, to me, it's you know, and it's adapting to your yeast, and it's all those things adapting to your environment and making it happen. And, you know, maybe you, you create a house characteristic uh, because of your process uh, or whatever that is. I mean, to me, one of the most amazing things is, is Sierra Nevada, that you can taste all their beers and they all have this, this standard Sierra Nevada character to it. And a lot of it is their yeast. But to me, it, a lot of it must be their hopping regime, too, because even when you drink their, their Summerfest, it still has this, this Sierra Nevada quality to it. Uh, they make this beer that's pretty much only available at the uh, the brewery and uh, or West Coast. It's called Crystal Wheat, and it's a wheat beer using all crystal hops. And it's it's one of my favorite beers that they make. It's only like four and a half, five percent alcohol, I think. It may be a little more than that. It's just this great hoppy beer, and it still has that Sierra Nevada character. And, and I'm, I'm it, it, going if any of you ever get out to California, it's like going to Mecca. Sierra Nevada is Mecca to me. <laughs> you have to go. So. If you were in a hotter environment, yet a smaller tank, at what point would you say it's getting too warm for dry hopping? Do you turn on your glycol to keep it down to 75, 80, 90? I would, I would say 68 or 70, 68 to 72 Fahrenheit is is for it's for me. And I've I've had my dry hops get as warm as 72, but it's just never gone past that. So, but that's where I would say, at least for my yeast. But man, you get some great aroma at, at warmer temperatures. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. What's the difference between these single infusion hopping as opposed to the step infusion? Yeah, the question the question was at those temperatures, what's the difference between you know doing multiple dry hopping and just single? I mean that's a that's a pretty detailed question because of quantity, time, and all that stuff. But I, I'm just really moving towards the idea of multiple dry hops. We we've, we've tested it on Pliny the Elder, and a part of a part of that test was done about the same time that we were pulling samples for this presentation. So we haven't moved to that. But I bet if you ask me next year, I bet I'll have moved Pliny the Elder to two dry hop additions instead of one. And and I like the, uh, the the more pungent and bigger hop aroma that I get from multiple dry hops. So I think you get more aroma by doing two dry hops instead of just one. And even if you took that, uh, and uh, I'll get to I'll, I can move into it right now. The the idea of 
I talked about yeast. Uh, I just mentioned it quickly earlier. There's there's a couple things that uh, that we do. We pull we pull yeast as much yeast as possible, and this is this is highly overlooked when you're uh, talking about dry hopping. And it, but if you think about it, it, it makes pretty uh, pretty good sense that if you've got a fermenter full of beer that's just finished fermenting, and it's got you know a lot of yeast in suspension, when you add your dry hops, you're going to have a much harder time, or the oils are going to have a much harder time being extracted into the beer itself because the yeast is in the way. And so getting yeast out before you dry hop is, to me, is imperative. And, uh, and that's something that, uh, that, that my brewer friends and I from California, we talk about all the time. It's like, how, you know, how are we getting uh, a beer so you know, aromatic? And I don't have a lab at my brewery, so I can't do a lot of technical tests and stuff. But when we do someday, I think one of the things that we will start testing is is how many cells per milliliter of yeast are in the beer before we dry hop, and then and figure out a drop dead point that says you know we need we need to have at least this many cells gone, and this is the most cells per milliliter that we'll ever allow in the beer because we'll get better dry hop uh, aromatics from getting that yeast out. So getting yeast out, to me, is, is imperative. I even I want to go as far, and, may, and we, I can't do it during the summer because we're just too busy. We don't have the time to run a big big experiment. But I'd love to find a batch of, of beer and then have a clean beer and then dry hop it there and see what it see what it does. You guys, anyone here can do that real easy. Um, you have the time. and But having that, that those aromatics... Uh, uh, come through, come through a lot, a lot easier with the yeast gone. We we do a lot of mixing as well, and I don't I don't know if this is something homebrewers are doing yet. Um, I, I threw this in because again, two years ago in the craft beer industry, it wasn't being done a lot. Um, mixing was was wasn't even heard of, and what what we're basically saying is. In, in our world, a lot of people, brewers, will dry hop in a conical tank, and so the, the hops will fall into the cone, and so suddenly you have all your hops in this very small area. So they, the thinking is is that you either put a pump on the uh, racking arm and pull beer out and then go back in the bottom and then shoot them back up, or you just uh, jack a bunch of CO2 through the tank. And um, CO2, you're actually running the risk of stripping aroma, uh, so the pump is better, except that you now are running the risk of introducing oxygen into the uh, into the beer. So 6F1 does in the other. Uh, I've done it both ways. The pump works a lot better. Um, talking about on a homebrew level, you could, um, if, if you had one of those nice new Fandango conical fermenters from like beer, beer, more beer, or whatever, uh, then... then uh, then you could you could push CO2 in the bottom just like we do, and uh, and get your get your hops back in suspension. The uh, yeah, someone said Father's Day this uh, world's biggest You if you're uh, if you're in a carboy, you know you could use a a, a, a thin you know um, end of a you know a, a thin handled brush or something that you could sanitize to mix with. 
um, giant magnetic you, you can sanitize a you know paddle if you're fermenting buckets or whatever. But that's that's something that's that's another point that I want to drive home that getting your hops back in suspension, even if you're just doing a single you know one single dry hop addition, getting those hops back in suspension to fall a second time will increase your your hop aroma, and that's the that's the easiest thing to do right right from the beginning. And then uh, the other way is just, you know, get carboy and, and that was my last one was just taking a carboy and, and gently shaking it. But, you know, you, you're going to introduce aeration and oxygen any, on any of these processes. So it's a give or take of, you know, how do you want to, uh, you know, how do you want to mix your hops back in without getting too much uh, oxidation. The other thing you can do is get one of those little carbonating stones and just drop them into your carboy and just gently bubble CO2, and that's going to rouse the, the hops back up, too. Um, that's probably not going to work as good as, as any of the other methods, but it's still a viable way of, uh, of doing it. So. I don't I don't have a whole lot more. I've got a couple other topics, um, and, and then I'll, I'll take the... Well, let, me, uh, let me cover about two more minutes, and then we'll just go into questions. Um, Things that I was thinking about uh, is covering your fermenters. If you're if you're fermenting in glass, don't don't overlook the fact that you can light struck your beer by by having a hoppy beer in in a carboy. And even if it's only the outer edge, that's a lot of beer on that outer edge that's getting light struck. So you know, just taking a trash bag and put, you know punching a hole in the top and putting it over your carboy is to me is imperative, and particularly making. Uh, you know, hoppy beers. Um, my, I talked about my, my friend Matt Brennelson at Firestone Walker. He goes as far as uh, he dry hops in the dark. He, he shuts all the lights off, and, and, they, and, they only, and they only dry hop at Firestone. They dry hop at night and in the dark. And, and there's this picture of him that he shows when he basically gives the same presentation I did today that he gives sometimes. He, there's this picture of him up on the tank, and it's totally dark. And, um, and I and I joke like, well, what you know, what did the flash do? Did that hurt you? And he, and he, he tells a story. He tells a story about you know after you make when you're dealing with large quantities of hops, so making a double IPA or an IPA pale ale, you end up with hop, you know, uh, pollen all over your hands, and it starts to. Uh, uh, to go skunky pretty fast, and then your hands and everything start smelling like that. And he tells a story about walking into a record store up where or down where Brewery is, and the lady's like, "Excuse me, you can't bring that stuff in here." <laughs> She's like, "I mean, I know we're in California and all that's liberal, but you can't bring that stuff." And Matt's like, "I'm a brewer," and she said, "You'll have to leave." And they kicked me out of the store. You know? So I used to I used to call Matt uh, Superman because. For like three years in a row, he won champion brewer at the GABF and World Beer Cup, but he did it with three different breweries, which to me was amazing, uh, is he had ownership in one, and then they do two different brands of Firestone, so we call him Superman, but after he told me that he uh, dry hops in the dark, because he's now, his handle is Batman, so, uh, um, fi- finally, um, if you're dry hopping uh, with flowers, um, you know, if, if you're not, if you're in a bucket or something, or from anything in the top, put some weights in there to get them to sink, so they're not floating. Because when the dry hops with flowers, when you dry hopping with, with whole flowers, you know, half the hops on the top aren't even going to get submerged. That's one of the bad things about dry hopping with flowers. 
Um, I've never had, it always comes up, so I'm going to bring it up before the question comes up. I've never had a, you know, biological contamination issue with, uh, with dry hopping. Always add them. Never, never had an issue. Um, I've never met a professional brewer that has, but it always comes up. So at that, uh, at this point, I think I'm just going to open it up to questions. Uh, yeah. I was ignoring this side of the room with questions, so yeah. you guys get the, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, why? Okay, I've got 10 gallons of IPA that I'm sitting on and I haven't dry hopped it yet because of time. So, based on what you're saying, it sounds like I'm better to dry hop it closer to when I'm ready to serve it, the aromatics, or sooner after it's done off the uh, second uh, bracket. If I was, if, if I was, I used to, a year ago when I spoke at the Homebrewers Conference, I, I claimed that I still homebrewed, but I can't claim that anymore because I haven't homebrewed for, <laughs> since then or before then. But if I was to be homebrewing, I would run a regular dry hop. And then I would put some hops in the keg if I was serving a draft beer. You still want to run your dry hop on, you know, on a regular cycle. Uh, you know, the thing about dry hop beers is that the close you want to drink it as close to when it's been carbonated and kegged. Because dry hop beers, their peak is in their first week or two, and they just start to drop. You know, it's it's funny brewers think that, and I say brewers, professional brewers will ship their IPA and go, oh well, hops. Are you know they they help uh, the beer age and and they're the first beers to to take a dive in flavor profile because the hops just fall out. Um, there's there's a number of breweries out our way that uh, even locally, you know, we see that happen to I mean, almost every brewery, including us, that makes hoppy beers. We, we see the hop profile drop fast. There's some other first word hopping. What do you think of it? The question was uh, first wort hopping. That's um, where there's all kinds of ways you can hop uh, nowadays. Um, you know, we've we've gone as far as even putting ma- hops in the mash tun. Um, my friend uh, Tom Nickel from uh, he will now he's, he owns a beer bar in San Diego, Brian's. He uh, he dry hopped his hot liquor once, which I thought was, I thought that was pretty brilliant. Said it was a, he said it was a pain in the ass to get it clean, but um, and and he was the only one to ever do that until last week. Um, a local brewer friend of mine, uh, Brian Hunt, who owns a small little brewery called Moonlight, he after I told him that uh, Tom had dry hopped the uh, the hot liquor, he, he did it too. So, so I now know two brewers have done it. But first, first wort hopping um, is it, it only works with certain hop varieties, or it works better with certain hop varieties. And to be honest with you, I can never remember, you know, what myrcene and all the different components of, of hops, you know, what flavor it gives. Um, it's really important to know that stuff with first war hopping. It's the noble hops, you know, and, and German hops um, with whatever they're high in, um, whatever the term is. There, it, It's those hops uh, that will stay, that, that don't volatize out in, in the boil. And so where uh, hops like Cascade and Chinook and Centennial and all the, all the floral you know, more classic American hops, those those uh, oils volatize out in the boil easier. And so you want to go with, first war hopping is better with, with noble hops, with, you know, or things, varieties that are related to noble hops, things like saws or, you know, or German hops if it's related to Hallertau. So American uh, growing hops would be Liberty, Mount Hood, uh, Vanguard, those sort of things work better for first war hopping. When you add all multiple additions of hops, are you just replenishing what it loses, or are you adding each time you add it? 
know is if you put hops in after a week versus two weeks after three weeks, you're gaining something or you're just not losing something? Yeah, the question was how much do we actually gain by doing multiple dry hops or, or is it just a, you know, replacing, uh, you know, what, what's lost? Is that what you're... Yeah. yeah really, we, we wouldn't do it if we didn't gain anything. And the first time through... I'd never done this before. You know, I, I'd done a little bit of multiple dry hops on the elder, but on the younger, I'd never done a you know four dry hops over a month period. And um, you know, I find that with the elder over two weeks, nothing happens, and if anything, the aroma drops. And so the idea was, I know that we get the best dry hop at five to seven days, and so let's do that, you know, a number of times to really make that beard so aromatic that you know you want to smell it more than you want to taste it so and, and it's it's turned it's the most it's the most lovely beer that I've ever smelled it just has the most amazing top aroma so to me to me if you walk really if you walk away with one thing it's it's multiple dry hopping try it give it a test see if it works it, you know and, and I'm using less hops per gallon or per barrel in my world than I am normally so in the end, I'm not adding on a batch of you know, 500 gallons Pliny the Elder and 500 gallons Pliny the Younger. I'm not adding that much more hops, if any, on the Younger. I'm just doing it in a totally different uh, way. And if I had that much time to dry hop the Elder, I would do it that way too, but we don't, you know, for production reasons. Yeah, on, on the question was, are we adding you know different uh, hops, different times when we are doing the mix? Uh, we are. We're sometimes it's uh, it's you know Amarillo and Simcoe, and other times it's Chinook or you know whatever it is when we're doing it in general. And what you're what you guys are drinking today, planting the elder in its various stages, uh, is dry hops, and the homebrew recipe is is there on the second sheet. And if you don't. Um, if there wasn't enough handout sheets, uh, you can hit me up afterwards. Give me, I'll give you my card, and you can email me, and I'll email you the PDF file of it. But this, what you're drinking today is dry hop with Centennial, Columbus, and Simcoe. Uh, the final version of it, the 12-day, uh, and I'll have it tonight to taste at the uh, Pro Brewers Night. But it's those three varieties done one dry hop, mixed at day seven, I think it is. And if I were to change that, I would, I would, I would still push the hops back up, and maybe make another hop addition at like day nine or something. So, yeah, we're, we are using different varieties to answer your question. At different times. At different times. Yeah. That, and to me, that, I mean, if you think about it, that adding all the layers of complexity, you can you can really add by it's just like in the boil, you know. I mean, it's okay to do a single hop beer, and 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 actually, I have it on my notes here that. The way that I've learned or taught myself the most about flavors, you know, hop flavor, is by making single hop beers. We do a beer called Hop To It at our brewery, and uh, it's a single hop beer. And I, up until we closed the brewery at Corbell, up until that point, I had used every hop variety that was available. I have hop growers sending me hops that didn't even have names yet. There's one called um, that's out now called uh, 
Palisade, I think. And Palisade used to be called YCR004. Yakima Chief Research number 004. And that's how I got it. So I got to use it before anyone else. And I, that happened with Simcoe and Amarillo. I got to test those hops out because the hop growers were, saw what we were doing. And I promised them that I would send them a case of uh, bottles and they could taste the final product. That is the best way to to uh, to see what a hop will do. And it's almost never great on its own, but it's an education like you can't believe. And a homebrew club, you know, could come together and, and make, you know, a base recipe. And the recipe is usually very low on malt. You know, it's a very low, soft malt profile so that the hops come through. Uh, and we, we, on the beer, we do the dry hop quantity is always the same. The third hop addition quantity is always the same. The second dry hop quantity is always the same. The only thing that changes in the entire beer because the malt bill stays the same. We get the same gravity, original terminal every time. Color is the same. The only thing that changes in this beer is the hop variety and the amount of hops that we add for the first edition so that we can nail the bittering units every time, too. And in this day and age with all the, the uh, you know, ProMash and all those computer programs, you, you can nail that stuff, you know, pretty, pretty, almost as close as what we can do. And that is, that is to me the best way to find out what Amarillo will do, what Simcoe will do, and, and go from there. In, in that experiment, how did you uh, determine, like, how that hop characteristic would inter- interfere with different beer types and different malt balances? And you, so you, mean, you mean, like, when we do multiple dry hoppings with multiple hops? Well, I just mean, like, in, in this instance, when you're saying you, you did that experiment with different types of hops oh, doing, yeah, single hop and seeing how the hop char- characteristic would flow through. How did right. you know how that would influence different types of beer? The, the question was, when we do a single hop beer and then we're learning, we're taking the information we learn from that, you know, what the flavors are, how does that translate into a beer where we blend it all in? I think a lot of it is instinct and knowing that uh, Amarillo, for instance, um, when we were, when I was building in my head Pliny the Younger, uh, the hop profile was much different than the elder, and it was gonna it was gonna be an 11% alcohol beer, and the alcohol was gonna show. So we had to do something to cover up. I wanted to cover up a lot of that alcohol, so we went with a lot of Simcoe and a lot of Amarillo. Simcoe because it's got a big pine character, and I learned that from doing a single hop Simcoe beer. Amarillo because it's got a big uh, big apricot peach character, and so those two combined became the main aromatics of the beer. So that when you smelled the beer, you smelled more hop, apricot, pine, and peach than you did alcohol. So that that's how it is. I think a lot of it's just is experimenting though. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Okay, we're getting to the last segment of the Vinny Chilurzo lecture given at the NHC this year in Baltimore. Brewing Network was there to record it, and we're bringing it to you now. Have you noticed much difference between bagging or adding hops loose, and would you recommend on a homebrew scale stirring both? And the, I think in, the question was: was if you're using flowers, uh, do you bag them up and put a weight in there, or do you just let them loose? leave them loose and I think in the best case scenario is leaving them loose but it's so hard even on the you know big scale like we brew to separate hops so we put them in bags and then I put in I put weights in there if it's a lot of flowers we put them in multiple bags and tie them off so that it's not all bound up um, yeah and if you're brewing and it's not dry hopping but if you're brewing you should never put your flowers in a bag 
and put them in the kettle, uh, you'll just you just won't get the utilization. And uh, you know, in a in a kettle, you can strain them out with a you know with a colander or something. You guys, uh, whirlpool hop much for, for any aromatics at all? The question was, do we whirlpool hops? Um, at our brewery now, our whirlpool is in our kettle. Um, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll own a separate whirlpool tank where we will then be making whirlpool additions. But presently, our last hop addition goes in at what I say, what I call zero minutes, which is the end of the boil. <clears throat> and that's our final hop addition in the kettle. So right now, no. But when we uh, add a whirlpool tank, it will then... Well, then that, that final addition, which is now at zero minutes or the end of the boil, will move into the uh, into the. I think that'll hole. change your whole dry hopping schedule once you start whirlpool hopping. As long as it adds more hop aroma. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're all about more. We want more aroma because you can't ever have enough hop aroma in a beer. That's, uh, I. There's this one hop supplier. I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't say his name. Uh, and he was in our brewery over the last year, and he smelled the Pliny the Elder. And I can't believe he said this. It was like I, I fired him for it. And he goes, "This, this, this beer has too much aroma." I'm like, "You're a hop supplier. You should be thanking me." Is there some point at which you max out the benefits from dry hopping? In other words. If you dry hop for two weeks, is that enough? If you drop for four weeks, is that too yeah, much? Yeah, the question was, can you over dry hop? And I think you can. And I I, I think we, we may be even over dry hopping the, uh, the elder a little bit. I, you know, the, there is a difference between 9 and 12 days um, on the dry hop. So that was where our point was. But I did find that 14 days and 12 days, there was no difference. So that's why we did we did cut it back to, to 12 days. And... Uh, like I said, it can't it can't be proven. It's never been proved scientifically. Um, and I, you know, I talk, I've been talking about Matt Brennelson a lot from Firestone. He used to be a hop chemist. He doesn't know how to prove it either. But that you know, there's a point of diminishing return where you you dry out for so long and you seem to lose hop aroma. And sometimes I taste a beer out of a fermenter that say like it's seven or eight day dry hop and has the most beautiful aroma, and then the finished product isn't as as aromatic and I don't know I don't know why that is especially since we're not filtering um, the beers and, and this is like you know I'm tasting it even sometimes pre-gelatin um, and, and it's gone down so I'm I'm starting to believe some of these ideas that you know less is more so you just need to bring the Randall <laughs> 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 Rand- Randall's Pliny's bitch. Oh, yeah. We're going to scan the sheet. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, they ran out of the sheets, but they're going to put it on a, uh, you said the download site? Yeah, there's a download site. Yeah, otherwise, um, you can get my email, and I'll email it to you. You set me up for that. I was I wasn't going to use the Randall as Pliny's bitch thing because I used it at the Loopland Slam in DC last year or earlier this year, and uh, Sam was just there going. He goes, "You've been planning all this for a year now because they beat us with the Randall the first time, and we so we got beat by a yuppie hop device." <laughs> He 
he wants me to take a vote on which had the best aroma. I don't know if everyone got to taste everything, so. Um, nine days. Nine days. Someone said nine days. What was your second question? Yeah, the question was, do, you know, it's talking about multiple hop additions, and it, it's hard to explain, but I, I really think that it's, it's like cooking. You know, if you're, if you're just using thyme, you know, to season your chicken or whatever, and you throw some marjoram or everything out, you know, you get a mix, you're going to get a, a multiple flavor because it goes along with that, that list of hops. You know, everything contributes different flavors, and so by putting a mix of hops into the dry hop, to focus on dry hop, or even if it's into the kettle, you're just going to get layers of flavor that are sitting on top of each other. Um, at, at Blind Pig, we used to make a beer, um, I think it was just a pale ale beer, and I found that on the dry hop, three parts Cascade and one part Willamette, and the Willamette somehow just brought the floralness of the Cascade out like you can't believe and and if I ever make a true bona fide pale ale again, I'm going to do that exact same thing, just going based on that memory. Um, I don't use a lot of Columbus. Um, we we use it to you know accentuate, and um, but I find that a little bit of Columbus helps bring a lot of the other flavors through. So I, I hope I answered. Question what was the ratio? Oh, three to one. It was three parts Cascade to one part, you know, so if you're dry hopping an ounce, it was three-quarter ounce Cascade and, you know, quarter ounce Willamette. It was amazing. And I don't know how I discovered that. Right? Just dumb luck. And, and because if you use Willamette in large quantities, it adds this harsh metallic character. And the new hop glacier is, is supposedly the darling hop of, of Anheuser-Busch now to replace... Um, Willamette, just for that that reason. So, if you use the hop back, would you replace your zero time hop into the hop back? Yeah, the question was if you're using a hop back. I would love to have a hop back. We did a blind pig, and it's something that when we build a production brewery, I will most certainly uh, incorporate that in. And you know, the question was, do would you? Uh, take your zero minute or end of the boil hop edition and put it into the hop back and I would say yes, yes you would the the closer you can make your hop back to the heat exchanger, the more aromatics there is, um, I saw back, uh, gosh it was probably 10 years ago at the Craft Brewers Conference, it was in Boston uh, a lot of the breweries uh, were using the uh, Pugsley system which is using the ringwood yeast and um, they had the little aerators in the fermenter, it always blew me away but um, they have these things called a hop percolator, and I've never forgotten this thing. I'm going to build one one of these days, and it looks like R2-D2. It's this round little thing. It's about as tall as this uh, podium here, and the idea was that you would pack it with, with flowers or pellets and then put uh, boiling water in there at the beginning of the brew, but it was totally sealed up 
So you had this water that was intensifying in, in oils, and it was probably extracting some, some acids, but not much because there was no boil going on. And then it was in line to the heat exchanger, and it was the first, call it water, you know, hot water, that went through the heat exchanger and into the fermenter. But because it was hot and it was immediately cooled, the, the hop oils were bound up, you know, in the water, and it was sent to the, uh, and then it was blended in. To me, it was a genius idea, and, and I saw one used on a used equipment website, but I got to it too late. So I'm just going to have to go look at one at some brewery and then, you know, have a, my welder build it for me. But it's a genius idea, and it can be done, you know, on a homebrew level too. So there's there's also this, this theory that in concept, that's being used, probably by homebrewers too, but a lot uh, starting to get used a lot in, in, on the pro level, and that's that they're making a hop tea with uh, uh, for your dry hop, and then they're adding that to the uh, to the fermenter. So you're adding like 120 degree uh, hop tea to uh, to your uh, fermenter of beer, you know, keg of beer, but it's instantly cooling down, so you're not like scorching the beer, pasteurizing it or anything, but you bound up those hop aromas. So. Yeah, the question was, do we use oils? Have I played around with them? You know, I don't, I've never used hop oil for aromatics. The one, when you when you look at the Pliny of the Elder homebrew recipe, the one area that doesn't translate is that 90-minute and 45-minute addition. That addition in our brewery is actually hop extract. It's a summarized hop extract. And we, uh, I, I came clean. I came clean with that a couple years ago, and uh, Yakima Chief saw an increase in, in small brewers buying it because at the time it was like, oh no, you can't use hop, hop extract. But um, but we do use it. Um, I get the exact same flavor, and we yield more from the kettle. So because it's it's less green matter, uh, and and we end up with I think less green flavor in the beer. So I've never used the oils per se, but I do use extract. Yeah. yeah. Let me take uh, two more questions, and then I got to go. How does alcohol content affect hop aroma? Just smell alcohol or comparing the hop aroma? The question was uh, alcohol and hop aroma. You know, they say they say that the higher alcohol beer will, you know, because the alcohols will help capture the oils, which is why Sam likes to run the 120 minute through the Randall. And on a practical basis, I find that my lower alcohol beers have more hop character coming through. Um, maybe it's capturing it the same, and maybe the longevity is, is different. But I find, though, on my, to get back to your question, that actually there's, in a way, the, the hop aroma covers the alcohol, and it doesn't carry it through. That was my whole point with the younger. I wanted, I wanted to have more hop aroma. Than alcohol. The flip side to that is is that if you don't know the alcohol is there and it's 11% alcohol beer that tastes like 7%, you like get up off your stool and, and you're not sure. That's what everyone tells me. Everyone goes, oh yeah, it's not 11% until I stood up. So. All right, one more question. I'll be I'll be on back afterwards when I ask some questions. Yeah, the question was, how are we profitable? 
Um, we're not that profitable on planning the elder. <laughs> and that's our number one distributed draft beer. So, um, we, we make it up in our group hub. To be honest with you, we we don't make the kegs that and we 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 ship a small amount of beer to Philadelphia and a small amount of beer. We just did a small shipment to uh, Virginia D.C. to a distributor there, Hop and Wine. The Pliny the Elder we ship out to those places. I'm not making any money on. I'm doing it just to get our name out and to grow it and eventually have a production career where the economy is scale. So uh, I'll be in back if you want to talk. So. Thanks. Well, there you have it. Vinny Chalurzo from the National Homebrew Competition this year in Baltimore. Thank you, Vinny, for letting us use that lecture and getting your information out there. Great show this week, everybody. Next week, we have the most award-winning homebrewer ever on the show. So if you want some good information, some great tips, you're going to want to tune in for that. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Blows my mind. I love homebrew all of the time.